0: Why is it that every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Ludite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of
1: shit.
2: You know? Don't you know y'all just say something nice. Showtime.
0: Welcome to the Say Something Nice Podcast. Film, TV and music news and discussions, plus reviews of the films, TV shows and music we've enjoyed or otherwise this past week. In addition to our Say Something Nice Challenge, in which we challenge each other to say something nice about the best and worst in pop culture. Be sure to check us out at SSMPodcast.com and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play and tune in. Be sure to like and share the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we are under the handle SSM Podcast. And be sure to comment and rate us five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Say Something Nice Podcast. I am Brandon, and I am here with Ken. Hi. Ali. Wakanda forever. And Coffee Light Sweet. Hi,
3: everybody. Yay, everybody's
0: here. Yeah. Really quickly before we move on. So we'll talk about course today about Widows, about Stanley passing. But when I as I saw Widows last night, and they had a trailer, the second trailer for the Taraji P. Hansen remake of what, what women want, what men want. And when Ali said Kanda Forever, it reminded me, there's a joke in that trailer where Taraji's in the bed with, with the dude and the dude apparently has a kid and the kid thinks that, he comes in and like, hi, Miss Lady, I brought your mask. It's her panties. Oh. Yeah, he, he has her panties on. He goes, Wakanda forever. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's in a trailer approved by the Motion Picture Association of America, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, so I he's guess
3: that wearing means- her panties the panties over his face over and his saying, oh.
0: face and they're like please don't breathe in
4: please don't breathe in please don't breathe in you know all, all <laughs> that kind of stuff wow yeah. i didn't know we had gotten to that point
0: me neither but hey that's where we here we is but yeah, also so.
4: <laughs> also looks like black panther is is in the you know the zeitgeist of of you know just it's culturally relevant enough for you to bring it up in movies oh, and of course whatnot Yep. Okay. I mean, I'm not
2: really surprised because I, I mean, I was shocked when I saw a commercial that did the same thing, kind of a little bit a few months ago. God they were talking about smell like one of the kids had like placed like a jockstrap or something on like another kid, somebody's face as a joke, mm. but it was actually fresh because they did the laundry, and they're just like, "Hmm, this isn't bad. and it's like the joke that it back, the prank backfired. That was the like joke of the commercial, uh. but I'm like. Are we really doing this?
0: Hmm. Or it's it's a lot. But yeah, so we're here. Today is Sunday, November the 18th, 2018. It is four days away from Thanksgiving. Um, which of course means, first of all, you guys, that you won't hear a new episode next week. You might hear a either a repeat or a clip show episode next week but we won't be here because we'll be too busy being rolled around the house after having eaten all the turkey and the dressing and the greens and such and what what did uh miss uh uh reverend shirley Caesar say beans greens tomatoes potatoes um homophobia Um. (laughs) one of those doesn't match hold on I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> she 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 wrote that new fame right right into trashing people. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> new refame because she was already famous. Me me not do her like that. But yeah, so well, first of all, talking about the things that we saw, we'll do widows as its own segment. So I saw it last night in a theater at the Studio Media Grill that was full of um our people. Uh, and Widows being a movie directed by Stephen McQueen and starring Viola Davis and Brian Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Our people had a good time. They really had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) They quite very much enjoyed themselves. (laughs) They talked back to the screen. And I I remember I told you this last night, Ali, you were like... Like oh,
4: it's one of those. Yes, it's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Out of I, I told you already. I said I'd be like, hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to ask y'all to give me my money.
0: But I that's why free- you
4: go to the theater to see a movie like that. You
0: want to be there, part of the experience, talk back to the screen. But if I don't hear the, the, what's
4: happening on the screen, then I wouldn't enjoy the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> Home, is that whenever we've got to see this and you've managed to do that, and then, you ask, and then you ask me, huh? Or you tell me something that's inaccurate, I'm like, you didn't hear that because, <laughs> because okay, people bomb. were talking.
0: All right, so we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Besides that, did I see any new movie, other new movies this week? I don't think I did. I caught up TV wise on Black Lightning, <clears throat> which means I watched two episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Did you um, catch all the schism? What happened? Did you catch all the schism? Oh yeah. So white people are a problem in season two of Black Lightning? Like every white person is is a, is um a fucking problem. So first, at Jervison's job, you know, he's- wait, wait a second, wait a second. <clears throat> but except for Gamby, and even Gamby I have question marks about. Uh,
3: <laughs> wait a minute, I thought Gamby was, I thought I thought we invited Gamby to the cookout. What happened?
0: I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, he got too well, many
2: devices. <laughs> Gambi can get a plate, but he's not exactly invited. Right. Oh, he
3: doesn't he doesn't sit down. He has to eat standing up. Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he I mean, he's allowed to do a walk-through, speak to everybody, as we fix his plate for him. You can sit in the room, but once your plate is fixed, you gotta go. Gotta go. Yeah, gotta go. So gotta go. there
4: are there are levels to these kinds of privileges that you get. You yes. can't just if you thought it was just, you know, you come through the door, it's it's not only that, there are levels to this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Continue. Yeah, so. At Jefferson's job, he's no longer principal. He's just a teacher now. The new principal is Mike Lowry, who is not. Um, which one was Mike Lowry, Will or Martin? One of them. What? That's the same name as one uh, the, of the characters from Bad Boys. I forget which one it is. I forget which one's Mike Lowry, which one's the other one. But he's definitely not that. He's an uptight, quasi-racist piece of shit who wants to change all the rules to this charter school that was designed to help mostly black boys and girls to better themselves and get out into the world to do things. It's like a fight at the school. And Jefferson breaks the fight up and stops the kids from fighting and gets them to shake hands and everything. And then Mike, Mike Lowry shows up talking about which one of y'all children started the fight. And uh, they identify that one. He's like, congratulations, you've just been expelled. And suspends the other one for
4: a week. So the irony, the irony of that is he's being played by PJ Byrne, and for the 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 cartoon watchers out there, (laughs) he plays the character. He plays a character in Legend of Korra who just happens to be the exact opposite of everything that this live action version (laughs) of himself stands for. So it is funny. It is. I see him on TV and I can't get as upset because. His voice, his voice is exactly like the character that he plays on the show. So I'm like, well, I, I'll be he,
0: upset. for you. I want Jefferson to slap his why ass is across the, that why desk. Is
4: the, why is that character being so racist and wrong? Stop it!
0: <laughs> I hope he turns out to be like have superpowers and be a bad guy, so they can really kick him around in fucking school. I'm about tired oh, of Oh
4: You know, the funny thing is that's what they haven't explored uh, on the on the show yet. It's somebody who happens to be anti meta human and suddenly that person starts to manifest powers and then they have, they're gonna have like an internal conflict between what should I do now that I'm with
0: them give him give him time and also let's talk about the um the um let me not color the, the the white heifer at heifer. lynn's job uh dr Jace. yeah the one they brought him because she was the expert um um, biotech or whatever the fuck to try to help save these kids who have been in these um, um these refrigerators for thirty goddamn years, and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. who haven't aged, they haven't a aged day. a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they're trying to figure out a way to give them a vaccine that will allow them to be saved, you know, before they all because they're deteriorating because now, like, Holistic and Brandon, mm-hmm. first of all. Black already doesn't crack. Then you want to add science, please. (laughs) (laughs) all of these simulations apparently were like, you know, oh, we can't save them. And then all of a sudden, then like, and Lynn was trying to, she came up with the vaccine, but every trial they had, it only was half effective. Like maybe like a little bit 55% effective. And so mm-hmm. then, all of a sudden, the white woman comes about. Okay, you were right. We could find a way. This way, it does. It really is 100 effective. We'll be giving it to everybody all at once. And he's like, "Really? Let's do it." And so they did it. And then all of a sudden, half them damn kids died. And she's like, "Well, white woman's like, Liz, like you told me that it was gonna save everybody." White woman. Well. I just told you what you needed to hear at the time. Look, we saved half the kids, bitch. When Lynn punched Lynn the fuck out of her and I said, that's what you do. You've, you, you, you. branded. <laughs> I was tired of her and she said, y'all put her back whatever hole y'all got her out of. I would say, put her under the hole. Do like Viola Davis in our suicide squad. Put her in the hole and throw away the hole. <laughs> He Put her into one of them See how she like it. Killing black children. Put her <laughs> up on murder charges. <laughs> Besides that, uh Jennifer being dizzy over goddamn Chuck Clayton is getting on
4: my nerves. She's not, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that to her. No. No, the man, I'm killed, the man
0: killed her father. I'm and, going to defend and her. And he's been texting her. You up text. Why, 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 d- W-Y-D text for the last six months, whatever, and she finally no. gave in because dick.
4: No, 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 no. I'm not going to let you do that because okay. that's not cool. That's not fair mm-hmm. because she's emotionally vulnerable. She has been isolated inside of her house. She's not able to see any of her friends. She's, and then Anissa moved out. No, you're not going to do that. She is in a vulnerable place Get
0: right now. And she a, Facebook. a Facebook account or something. Look. Let her to talk to a goddamn criminal.
4: People need to be able to talk to people in who are face to face. It's just one of those things, and she finally was able to talk to someone face to face. Granted, I know it has it, It's it's that guy, but still. And also, she talking to him also has the 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 same effect on him as well, which is he on the other hand he is able to open up about what's going on in his you know his side. And I think when it comes down to it, eventually he's going to. Be on Jennifer's side if if push comes to shove when Tobias tries to force him to do something. In fact, I have a feeling he's going to try to sacrifice himself for Jennifer. He will, and that uh, might be that how he, might be that might be the catalyst for Jennifer finally coming into her powers and being able to control it to protect the rest of the people that she loves. That's that would, what I think is going to.
0: Happen. That would be a good storyline. That that would. I'm just like girl. If you don't if you don't change your number or block, put him on block. That and then. Um, Anissa being a foot boy and Grace Conrad
4: on it. Uh, that was that was, was, that was very surprising. <laughs> of, of that show. I wasn't expecting that show to be to have Grace be so eloquent about the fact that hey, I don't normally do this, you know, but here you are waltzing into my bookstore, sweeping me off my feet, and now and then you left and now you're back. Is it gonna be that all the time? If it is, tell me now so that I can rid you of you know rid my life of you forever Mm -hmm. and i was like wow that's quite the ultimate that was very straightforward
0: then they (laughs) finally they're finally gonna give her her powers which i was wondering if they were going to because you know it's been a whole goddamn season and a half um but yeah so they're gonna do that so i'm looking forward to that so that's black lightning um riverdale last week of course they had the episode the flashback episode where everybody played their parents Back in the 90s. And now we have the episode where, so this episode of Riverdale is called The Great Escape this week, which they're, you know, like they are, Archie's gonna break out of juvenile detention. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, Lord, it's gonna be some bullshit where Archie's gonna be trying to run through the halls of juvenile detention and stuff and fight guards and all this other kind of mess. I'll always seen like in Daredevil? That's what I thought it was gonna be. But it wasn't that, it was far better. What happened instead was, was that Veronica, Betty, and Veronica came up with a breakout scheme of their uh, and I involved knew- the rest of the kids in it. So all the, especially the the three uh-huh. who don't get screen time, uh, Josie, Kevin Keller, and uh, Reggie Mantle, they all got significant screen time this week. Everybody had was- shit
4: to do. <laughs> I knew and said that every time someone's in some kind of trouble, the whole Scooby Dan has to get come together to try to save that person. It happened with Cheryl. I <laughs> know you're telling me it's happening with Archie too. What they break into the prison and break him out. <laughs> well, what
0: happened is that Archie has found himself inducted into an underground teenage fight club by the treatment oh, yeah, of the um of the juvenile detention center. Being forced basically to fight. Uh, and so the privacy privileges yeah yeah. and so the fights take place at an abandoned rec center so they find the kids go to the rec center and they plan the um, the breakout there and you know the other part (coughs) of this this season involves like the town sort of kind of being obsessed with and having historically been obsessed with this you know Dungeons and Dragons esque game Griffiths and Gargoyles. And now, unfortunately, it's got Jughead and all the serpents. So these this bicycle gang of teenagers is playing, you know, a role-playing game and rolling dice and shit and talking about dragons and elves and orcs and things, which is hilarious for us. But it also makes for a really great, in this episode, like scene because Jughead doesn't go on the rescue mission. He's too busy caught up playing his playing the role playing game, and he instead uses it as inspiration for writing his his new quest, and so they use it as narration for the breakout. So they they're cutting back and forth from the board game to the actual action, and it's really really well done and completely unexpected in how they like pulled it off. I see. Like Riverdale is really trying his best to like forgive themselves for season two and all this. sort kind of meandering they did like they're doing a really great job also Robin Gibbons and Kevin Keller's dad on the show are getting are getting married
2: mm. really yes I'm sorry anytime I think about Robin Gibbons now all I think about like in stuff like that is I think about the episode of her on um, man seeking woman when she was Santa's uh, wife <laughs> what happened on there basically like this like this um one of the they like on man seeking woman every season they would have one episode where it would be like woman seeking man but it which was about the main character's sister but this time she was having an affair with Santa Claus doing all the freaky stuff that Mrs. Claus wouldn't do God. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't want to give a lot away, but Robin was coming through, like, trying to, like, clean house
4: and let her know what the real deal was. Wow. See that? So is that what Santa needs? Yeah. A strong black woman? A strong black woman. Who else going to take care of the workshop
2: while he gone? Wow. (laughs) Get get them else in order. (laughs) Getting
0: the toys out on time. And it's funny to go a little bit deeper into spoilers than I probably would or otherwise on Riverdale with um, Josie's mom and Kevin Keller's dad. In the flashback last week, we learned that they had apparently been dating on and off since nineteen hundred and ninety one. But their parents kept them apart when they were teenagers because racism. But they, are, since they are both still living in the same town, like now that Kevin's dad is leaving his mom, you know, now they're gonna try to like.
4: Wait, so you're telling me that, that they've been that that basically they've been cheating on their own spouses all throughout these years? Is that what you're saying? That is what I am saying, yes. Ooh, Robin. <laughs> you going to hell if you don't pray. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>
0: Um, that And also Titans this week on Of course On the DC Universe Streaming service app uh, Which I'm sure Only Ken and I saw Because um, I don't I don't think Kai Flight like Sweet Watches that And Ali refuses to After he saw The Doom Patrol episode Which he hated <laughs> Why? <laughs> he went into it Last week Ken basically He thought it was um, Boring He Didn't like The characterizations And what else Did you say That was some bullshit Yeah that's pretty much it Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know it was, I thought it was a I mean it was a shameless like um backdoor pilot backdoor pilot, but I enjoyed <laughs> it for what it was. Um yeah. but though now this last episode kind of let me down a little bit. Even like Well well let's let's I, let's I, set up what it is though. So this- I'll let you start just a second. I mean I'm gonna get a peanut butter shuffle and I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> All
0: right. So this week was the episode's titled Jason Todd. And for those who read enough comics, you know who that is. For those who don't, so in the Batman universe, there have been multiple Robins. So basically, like Batman's had several different teenagers and kids who have been his Robin. The mm-hmm.
4: first and most famous was Dick Grayson. And so, in the second, I just want to let you know, Brandon, that nothing about what you just said is pragmatic at all. So, <laughs> the second was Jason Todd. <laughs> So basically
0: what happened was that Batman and Dick Grayson basically had a falling out and Dick Grayson went out on his own. And that's sort of kind of where the Titans show picks up about a year after Dick Grayson sort of struck out on his own. He's still Robin. He's still wearing the costume. And he didn't know that Batman had appointed a new Robin, who is Jason Todd. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the comics, you know. Both Dick Grayson and Jason Todd were still under the age of maturity when they first met each other. Dick Grayson was around about 16, 17. Jason Todd had to be a good strong twelve. In this show, Dick Grayson's closer to like a 30, I think. Like he's definitely his late 20s. And Jason Todd. I think mid-20s. Yeah. Jason Todd is 19. Mm-hmm. And so in this episode, Dick meets Jason. And he's, Jason's all like, you know, it's so cool being Robin, you know, fighting bad guys and everything. I get to drive the Batmobile. He lets you drive the Batmobile. It's like, yeah. And so Dick is trying to tell Jason, this isn't this isn't the life you want. You know, like he he leaves the other Titans behind for this episode more or less. It was basically in the background, sort of, kind of. It's
2: a, it's almost like what do you call those episodes? The um a pocket not pocket episode. Um, no, it's not mm-hmm. really a bottle episode because there's a lot of shit they do. It's
0: more like, just like a Robin-focused episode. It almost feels like an episode of a Batman live bashing TV show, more than it feels like a Titans episode. In, in a bad way. <laughs> I didn't think it was really a bad
2: way. Um, I mean, I li- the parts I liked, I liked. But the whole thing about the, the, the villain, the main villain in that stuff, it just felt like, oh, this is the episode where we're going to be really cheap to save on budget.
0: Uh-huh. yeah the villain is the son of the man who killed Robin's parents and like and like he like his dad went to prison and then during the transport Robin stopped the convoy and and took the guy out and started beating him up but of course because he had snitched while he was after he was arrested the um was it Tony Zuko the gangsters mm-hmm. who sort of kind of were his employers found him when Robin was beating him up and started shooting um, melting acid at him. And he's begging Robin to help him. Robin's like, no. And basically he lets the guy die. And so the son, who's now the melting man, because this, those same gangsters came after his whole family, he's the only one who escaped. He's not using that same uh, acid to burn people. He's now the melting man. He's going, gone and killed every single last person who was part of uh, Dick the Flying Graces. Who's part of, of was it? Whose circus is it? It's a name to the circus. Haley Circus that the Flying Graces mm-hmm. were the star attraction of. And the last remaining living person besides Dick Grayson is uh, Clay, the strong, the, um, strong, who was Atlas the man. He was played by a black man who can't act very well, but he's a big and muscly, so you know, that's how he got the part. Mm. That man couldn't act. I'm sorry. He was struggling. He was like, you got to go live with Bruce Wayne. You can't live with me. I was like, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you don't read these lines, okay? <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed the episode. I was entertained. Uh, they, they definitely pushed the other Titans to the background this week, and Jason Todd has every it, single last vice and personality problem you can think of. Is particular, like I know he was a street urchin in the original comics, and then he revised the or to make uh, him you nicer in, the, in this antiqu-
2: antiquated vernacular. I mean, he, he was—he was a street. I'm joking urchin. with you,
0: man. <laughs> he,
4: was, he was Oliver Twist.
0: <laughs> he wasn't Oliver right. Twist. He was a goddamn homeless kid who was breaking the goddamn law all the time. And I mean, he, he bet. Batman I
2: mean, because he tried to steal the if, Batmobile. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, if if he didn't discover by Batman, why didn't he get? If he got found by a wizard, would it be the same story? It would be the same. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Billy Batson yeah. is also a street urchin.
2: That's not up yes. for debate. <laughs> So imagine if, what if Jason Todd became Shazam?
4: Oh,
0: woo, that, that, that's a what if for your ass. That's a comment that needs to be written. What if Jason Todd was chosen to be that could man? That
4: could be an elseworld, um, yeah, that, that could be an elseworld um, story. chapter. It really could. Or, or story in it. It's, so Jason, yeah, and then so, you could have like, you could have thoughty, thoughty Shazam. Thoughty Shazam? You think Jason Todd is a thought? I think Jason Todd would turn into a thoughty Shazam.
0: Okay. Okay, we're going to move forward. Uh, you're going to have to um, atone for that one day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when so, it happens, come find me. <laughs> so Jason Todd hates cops. And it, after the whole, you think the mission is over, the cops come here you know, to arrest the bad guys that like they usually do in a Batman episode. Jason Todd goes to beat up the goddamn cops because he hates cops. He's hated cops his whole uh, adolescence. And he kills a good majority of them and maims the rest. And Dick Grayson's like, whoa, what you doing? Fuck these cops. I hate fucking cops. They always beat up on me. Now I'm going to beat up on them. And he's like, "What? Batman would not let you just beat up cops. Oh, he I'm sure you wouldn't, but Batman ain't here. I can do whatever the fuck I want. You know what the difference between me and you is, Dick? I know who the fuck I am. So who the fuck are you? And then you, keep, after this little read, he sort of kind of looks off like, like a shady bitch. <laughs> and walks out to see. <laughs> I, I was in my cello. I was like, a reed.
2: <laughs> 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 who well, I mean, the who whole t- 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 the whole episode, I was really waiting for Jason to read him. <laughs> to be quite honest, the whole episode, I'm like,
4: the I mean, it was just like he was he was well, doing Tim, everything. he was Tim, like, be, that makes huh? sense. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because it's only it's only two main characters in this entire episode, right? So, and if and if you have Robin. Trying to to convince himself that whatever he's trying to do with Jason is right, then the only person left to really read, you know, um, you know, Dick is, you know, Jason.
2: Right. I did like when Jason said, you know, he gave you an out. You should have just took it. Bam. Um, Yeah. But that the whole thing, I just did not like the melting man. Like the the whole thing with that character with me was just cheesy. It just it just felt like an episode of Gotham. (laughs) that <laughs> and, and not in a good way. Um, but the stuff before it was good. Um, I like how Starfire still stole the show, even though she was only in there for like three to five minutes. Uh, or her new jumpsuit,
0: Ali had not watched the shit, but he found a picture of that jumpsuit and he said <laughs> that
4: was shift to here and back. People were just like, whatever this number was, because there was a a, a set online and People at first thought it was a dress. And people were just like, man, this dress is crazy. And then someone, someone said, wait. And then they zoomed in <laughs> on the dress. And they were just like, this is a fucking jumper. Holy shit. She's wearing the fuck out of that.
0: <laughs> uh, if you had watched the episode, you have known it was a goddamn jumper.
4: Yeah, well, I didn't need to zoom in, by the way. I could tell I was a jumper from the start. So, you know, Lord. I'm just saying. I'm sorry, Kim. What was you going to say? <laughs> no, not that, I mean... And she
2: still slayed in her satin. Yes, she did. Um, like my thing is, even though she it, like the outfits for, and stuff for Starfire do not look good in like just pictures or stills, but and, and Anna Diop is like I can't wait to hear see her in that film from who was it? Jordan Peele. This is my first experience with her, but clearly she is a star. Yes, she is. Oh, yes, she is. I mean, she steals every scene she's in. This yes, is not the classic Starfire, but she. I'm. I'm like, wow. Like, I didn't know I needed her. And the, like, the. It's like you know what? She's the grown, grown up version of the smart little black girl.
4: <laughs> um, like, yeah. You know, it looks like my original assessment of the show was was true then because Brandon, If you remember the last time when I saw that one episode, I told you like the only person, the only the, one of the few who can actually who actually can hold my attention on the show. Is Anna.
0: Mm-hmm. And people talk so all that shit
4: when they got well, got I mean their they, they'll the probably photos. still talk shit, right? Because they'll say, Oh, well, I guess she's okay. You know, they won't accept it because they don't want to, they don't want to show that they're wrong. Right. So
0: but yeah, I think that's everything I watched. Um, Ken, what about you?
2: Um I'm trying to think. Well, I watched the uh finale of American Horror Story this week which um you i have good things and bad things to say good is um well usually american horror story by this point they they figured some kind of way to fuck it up mm. like they'll introduce some like 11th hour element or some stupid <laughs> thing they're like stevie nicks <laughs> right like, that'll just be like, what? And like, you know, I was into this. I was riding with y'all. I'm like, Tara, I was rooting for you. We were all rooting <laughs> for you. And, but, and they still kind of mess it up a little bit. Why but not that. I'm uh, still curious. I, I, it's a spoiler. Oh, but, really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but basically, you know how you have, basically, it, it's the last episode. And you have Mallory, who is the new Supreme, who's supposed to fight the Aunt Michael, who is the Antichrist. Right. So you, you're expecting a big magic battle with, for these two to go back and forth, and you don't get that. Aw. Um, the best part of the episode was Angela Bassett coming on for two seconds, talking about, she needed the help of a powerful voodoo queen, but that ain't you, sis. Um, I guess that's kind of out of context. But uh, anyway, Angela, it's something about seeing Angela Bassett act like uh, Patra.
4: Um, people, people were really wondering whether or not she would show up on because it, because she wasn't coming last time, but she unfortunately yeah, they fit, she, she was killed
2: off screen by the other black woman. I can't remember the name. Whoever played Tara's mama on True Blood, um, and she became the new Voodoo Queen. But uh, uh, basically, she comes back. She comes back in this episode um, to basically. G- give you a little hip sway and uh, like f- uh, fold her br- like move her braids back and forth like what was that girl from Friday? Oh uh, like the gist <laughs> Yeah oh, Like I'm just like, You ain't trying to like,
0: lie Craig her
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> But you yeah. know move braids mm-hmm. in that it's like which I love that because I love seeing Angela do that but that's pretty much all she was able to do this episode like if you gave me like just she just needs her own season
4: well, she's probably busy with that other show, right? That nine one one show on, on is it on NBC, Brandon? It's on, it's on Fox. Fox.
2: Yeah, Fox. I haven't watched that,
4: but um, which I should. But no, um, I'm
2: sorry, they should have made time. Angela gave gave me everything I was needing. She was the best part of the whole episode. Um, damn, can I
4: spoil it? Did they, did they bring up? Did they bring back the racist white woman from Coven, the first season? Remember? Did they which one? Oh, oh no,
2: they didn't bring her back. I oh, mean, no, I take that back. She was in the show for two seconds, but she okay, was, so, it wasn't important that she was there. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I I kind of want to spoil something. We're gonna say spoiler. Okay. Uh, I,
4: yes. We'll give give you ten seconds. But you you want to know how they got rid of the the Antichrist? Go ahead. Oh wait, first, uh, um, anybody on the show currently um, wants to see American Horror Story this season? Um, Apocalypse. Y'all go ahead and it. spoil it away. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm
2: just okay. Listening. All right. So instead of them having a big magic battle, they go back in time
4: and she runs him over with a car. Oh. Oh, that was anticlimactic. Right. <laughs> oh. That's it. That's what it takes to take down the uh, Antichrist? Yeah, they go back in
2: time when he was not quite as powerful, and she just runs him over with an SUV, and then she goes back up so over him just to make sure he's good and dead. And then the um, Angela, I can't remember her, or whatever, the other white woman who's well-known actress. I'm mad I can't remember her name. She was playing his grandmother, and she came out, and he was like, help me, help me. (laughs) <laughs> she was like, no, you're dead, you little shit. Or something along those lines. Um, so that's well, what it was kind of like. And like it was funny, but it was kind of like, really? This is what you give us in the end? This is like how you fail us? Anyway, uh, but I will say this is still one of the better endings I've seen for a season of
4: American Horror Story. Which is, yeah. So Okay, interesting. Um, how was... Um What's, what's your girl, um, the, the black girl from, from Coven? Is she back? She was back, right? Uh, Queenie? Queenie? Yeah. Yeah, they brought Queenie back. Okay.
2: Was she good? Yeah, Queenie was good.
3: Okay. Cool.
2: And did I watch anything else really notable this week? Not really. I've been keeping up with The Gifted. The Gifted really didn't do much for me this week because it wasn't memorable to me. Um... I just don't like Booboo Kitty as the head of the Hellfire Club. Sorry, <laughs> um,
0: Ali likes So Ali, I I still have sitting in my post my um uh, my my post drafts uh, episode where Ali just talked about the gift for like a good strong half of an hour by himself, so, and I was like, uh uh-huh, you know, yes. <laughs> the I funny thing, what
4: that is, I didn't even realize that was Booboo Kitty until until like a couple episodes in and somebody linked somebody put the two pictures side by side and I was like oh my god that's a chick from Empire <laughs> I just didn't even realize I guess I guess that's what happens when you have you know a certain kind of makeup and a hairstyle and all that kind of stuff maybe it's just transformative you know
0: or you could just read mm-hmm. open credits I'm sure or that <laughs> sure You can can do that if you want to be technical like some people, sure. Or you can be in a nice podcast group where I posted the article where they hired her to be on the gifted. I don't watch the program and I just knew she was on it.
4: You know, my car keys, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I. I I I saw that episode too. This episode you talk about Ken and um, yeah, it wasn't big or spectacular. I I don't know for some reason when it comes to the when it comes to the gifted, like I rather I rather casual shit happening, <laughs> like domestic shit happening instead of like big wow things. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. The finale of the episode was like I was expecting that to happen because you know, this is probably going to be the twist where the brother decides that, you know what, maybe being in this group isn't the best thing for (laughs) me. (laughs) So,
0: yeah. All right. Uh, Anything else, Ken?
1: Uh, uh,
2: Nothing else. I'm still, like, going through Daredevil, which I'm enjoying. Uh, I forgot. Are you liking the main antagonist? Are you liking him? Yes, of course. He's, He's making the show. Um... But yeah, I'm, and I'm I love the changes. I love the episode where they really showed uh, Bullseye being Bullseye. Like I thought, like I like the reinvention of his origin um, and the like the way he's like you know in the comics the idea is that Bullseye never misses, and they kind of show like, how he's contrasted to you know Daredevil as a character. Both of them are people with hectic childhoods where they were you know people you know didn't like they were kind of left to their own devices and. Bullseye was basically raised in a system of rigidity to control his rage whereas Matt had to deal with his on his other like alone. Um, Daredevil's a better, like even in the fight scenes you can tell they're, like, they're different. They're both very formidable. Even though Daredevil's getting back up to speed, he's a better close-up fighter. Like you do not want to deal with De- Daredevil like up close. Whereas Bullseye because you know his ability
4: is to shoot people. He's yeah, a sniper. he's a range fighter.
2: Yeah, he, like the when he threw that like that, um ball and hit Daredevil in the face and like,
4: ow. Dude, that, the, you know, so the funny thing is watching Daredevil and watching Bullseye in particular in this in this season mm-hmm. versus it, even though you, it kind of comes off a little comical how he's able to get some people with those, those really, really, um, you know, really uh, detailed like shots, like ricocheting things off of something mm-hmm. else. Versus when you watched that terrible Daredevil movie. <laughs> it looks so comical in the Daredevil movie. But sometimes they pull off the same kind of um, shots mm-hmm. in this one. And it looks so much better. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Especially when you know Matt is blind. Mm-hmm. So he can't see something coming straight at him in the air. So when when he gets whacked in the face... By something that ricochets off of something else, Matt can't—he can't do anything about that because Matt's reflexes aren't fast enough to deal with mm-hmm. with 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 stuff like that. So it, it's it's really interesting to watch these two. Also, Ken, I have to say, hands down, when they did the origin story for Bullseye in the show, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really fun and different way of doing someone's origin story instead of going this is a flashback and the entire episode is a flashback instead it was it was basically um you know kingpin reading through files and him basically watching the phantom of the of bullseye's life sort of walk around him as he's reading the files and i thought that was a really fun way of showing someone's you know origin story it's you know people do it the the flashback way all the time but this time you know i thought that was really fun
0: all right cool sorry i'm chewing on had mute on um ali what have you been watching
4: um well more or less the gifted i usually give the gifted like like two weeks and then i catch up because you know reasons um other than that, um like I said, I gave um I seen before we started recording, I gave She-Ra on Netflix a try. <laughs> and um Shira and know, the Princesses of Power. Oh, sorry. Yes, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Um, I gave it a try. And honestly, from basically half an episode that I saw. Um, before I got distracted, I actually liked what I saw. And then I went online and did some more research about what's going on. And I found, um, editors notes. I found artists, um, sketches and drawings and, you know, art of blah, blah, blah. And I want to watch more of the show. I'm interested. I want to see more of it. Um, before we started recording, you guys asked me, um, is this show something that adults can also sit and watch with their kids or, you know, younger people. And I think so. I think it takes that approach just like, um, like Steven Universe on Cartoon Network does or something that's smart and witty like, um, um, you know, those other, those other, uh, those other sort of, um, what, what do you call those? Have we come up with a genre? For shows like that that are progressive cartoons for kids? Is there a genre now or or are we just going to just rope them all in with all the other stuff we used to watch when we were kids? I don't think it's really a genre. Young adult? Maybe young huh? adult. I can see that. Yeah, but but this unfiltered young adult though that's happening, this, this thing that's happening recently in, on, on TV. You're very
2: deleted a little
4: bit. The show yeah, okay. is super fucking yeah, so, gay Sorry, the show is extremely
2: progressive <laughs> The show
4: is the show, very progressive It got the gay, y'all It got the gay The show is gay Like it is just Go, 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 gay <laughs> Which
0: you might have uh, One should imagine that a show Based upon She-Ra, princess Singular of power Would be gay because now It's She-Ra princesses Plural of power, so it just it just compound the gay. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's
4: it's it's them scare after dark. Ooh. Wow, <laughs> I'm sorry, no, I, I tried. I'm sorry, that's not right. I should say that,
3: but I mean, yeah, that so, might be
4: the title of the episode.
3: Uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we can't we can't do Stanley like that. <laughs> so so um, so yeah, I thought that was. I thought that it, it, there are characters, there are LGBTQ characters in the show, and the show does not shy away from just just sort of giving them a spotlight. <laughs> and I thought that was that that was really cool of them to do so like that. Then I see also the response online is is very positive. I see people commenting and talking about the show and how it makes them feel. Um, so much more comfortably in their own skin. Of course, you will get haters who remember um, the original She-Ra a different way. Um, but I think you can explain can I, anything. Can I comment right? on
0: that? Yeah, sure.
4: So, I want to see this show, but also, the original She-Ra of
0: 1985? 1985. I 1985, might, might have started in 86, but I think they started producing in 85. It was crap. The original He-Man and the Master of the Universe. It was crap. Stop um, it. I'm, it nice. be, stop. I'm being honest. I watched I these hear. shows. I watched them a bunch. Like most of the Saturday morning shows produced between, let's say, 1970 and 1989. Well, remember, we're kind of crap. Well, we well, we, granted, we liked them because we were children we and that's all we had to watch. But yeah, they were we, not good. Choices
4: were limited. And also the stuff that that people could talk about through cartoons, weren't they heavily censored anyway? Well, it's not just that. Like, it's just, they were poorly done. It doesn't matter that
0: they couldn't talk about one thing or the other. And also, I should clarify that both He-Man and She-Ra were not Saturday morning cartoons. They were weekday afternoon syndicated cartoons, some of the first that were ever done that way because somebody's going to comment that I and correct that for me, so I'm going to correct it myself. But it doesn't, like, you couldn't cuss and stuff in them. like, the problem was that Animated cartoons in the seven in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they didn't have the money or the resources to make good productions. They didn't have the time to spend on story development, on characters, certainly not on animation. And therefore, you got basically what you got. You know, you got basically like sort of kind of static stories, static characters, static animation with only the lips moving, basically, and reuse re- reuse cycle after cycle the whole. Like the best scenes, of course, in He Man, She Ra stuff, the sort of transformation things, because you put in every episode. It takes a minute out of your budget because you only animated it once. We y'all were doing the um the product the presentation reel for the for uh, <laughs> the syndication company and never but yeah. You should, but you, so you're saying it's a product of its time, though, right? It I mean, is a product of its time. It's as good as it possibly could have been at the time because people just didn't care. Like you talk to like a lot of the artists who went on to make, you know, these groundbreaking 90s cartoons like Ren and Stampy and Rugrats and Tiny Tooth Adventures and stuff, and Batman the animated series, they worked on He Man and She-Ra at filmation. They knew it was crap. They they but they had bills in their houses. They had bills to pay. But like the idea of people come over and they're like, they're fighting so hard to defend she, the original She-Ra by saying that. This woman, because, like, the woman, I, I I think, I don't know if she's lesbian or bi. I think she's somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum, I believe. The woman who's the showrunner for the new she show. Let me find her name right quick, so I'm not just talking about her like she's a ghost or something. But they were trying to talk about how, it was like, because she was attracted to women and because she was a, quote, unquote, manly woman, in their personal opinion, that they were trying to make the characters look less feminine and take the femininity out. They made She-Ra look like an actual teenager. God, how dare they? Instead of, you know, a Barbie doll. God, how dare they? Like, they're comparing that and the whole Thundercats thing. And it's just like a whole bunch of these whiny incel fanboys who touch themselves to pictures of She-Ra and have this since 1985, I guess, who, because they can't touch themselves to the new one, they find that it is, um un you know, like, unacceptable. And that's just ridiculous. I think that we can like shit. Y'all know I like Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo is a crappy ass cartoon. It is. It really is. Especially now that you can see the bitch in HD on Boomerang. You can see every mistake, all the dust, the dirt, the cell lines that are out of alignment. You can see it all.
3: But I like it because
0: I saw it when I was two and three, and it's sort of kind of, it's right in there. I like it. I understand that there's way better shit out there, and I watched better shit,
4: but. I always like Scooby-Doo because it's Scooby-Doo. You well, also, also, it seems like as if you you were watching it for other reasons. If you're saying that the guys online who are complaining about She-Ra are the guys who were adolescents at the time and who were using She-Ra as the uniform of quote-unquote pornography they could get at the time. Yeah, I'm I not mean, touching whereas, myself
0: to watch teenagers and dolls solve mysteries. So that's not happening. Yeah,
4: so perhaps that's not, perhaps that's not a fair comparison, though. Maybe if... Or do you feel like as if um if if there if it was a little bit different if you were not listening watching, I don't know a show that had you know, a cartoon that had you know, strong, powerful characters. Like and-
0: he Man and Masters of the Universe, perhaps? Yeah,
4: like that. I no, mean- that's that show's
0: crap too. <laughs> <laughs> sure, my man's running around in the goddamn um fur um um booty short, but um, he's only running at like, like four frames, um, at like 12 frames a second or like, no you know, like, like eight <laughs> frames a second, you know, this, this, and then he punches it in like three frames of the drawing, you know, like, and it's boring if you watch it as an adult. And well, the, the lady who's running, um, she, her name is Noelle Stevenson. She also created the comic book, um, Lumberjanes.
4: Oh, wow. That explains everything now. Sure. <laughs> That explains everything.
0: <laughs> she's worked uh, also at Marvel and at DC uh, on Thor and Wonder Woman and Runaways.
4: Uh, yeah. she. You hire if you is, hire the. Yeah, she is. She is did, she's regions, an, Then you were asking for it. She is in a <laughs> so relationship exactly with a woman. You we're asking for. So, okay. So, so yeah. So yeah. And she's
0: okay. She's got a very nice picture on her Wikipedia
4: page. Well, I would encourage people to give it a try and see if they like it. And she's um, younger than all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say, everybody, go ahead and uh, sample it if, if you like. But yeah, right. uh, it's... Uh, oh, also, I, I forgot to mention um, uh, one last thing when you guys were asking before we started recording. Um, I also mentioned um, that a lot of the original designs have been changed to be more progressive as well and diverse. So, um, some characters are, are now not just white and they're not just all model-esque um, and when I say model-esque I mean like underwear models and you know what you would see in really old magazines Now, that they're different shaped people some people are tall short uh, kind of stocky some people are slender and that's and some people are dark-skinned some and they're different different hairstyles and that sort of thing so it's
2: are any of them trans
4: I don't know yet because I haven't done that deep of a dive I don't know yet but Indeed.
0: yeah, because when they when I saw Marcus, I saw the first thing I saw was like the voice cast photo and I saw Marcus Scribner and I was like, who the fuck is he voicing? He's a horse. Wow. <laughs> and it, but they they made Bo, who's like one of the few male characters on the thing, they made him like black. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, he's, and he's suspect as fuck. I'm <laughs> I mean, he has a gigantic heart on his um, midriff-bearing
4: shirt. <laughs> like, well, I mean, remember, no, it's not. No, it's not a midriff kind of. No, it's not so drifty. I've seen the picture, Ali.
0: His his his, his stomach is still partially out.
4: <laughs> I mean, but it's not as drifty as as this.
0: <laughs> At least he doesn't have the part mustache anymore. No, they don't do that anymore. because... <laughs>
4: All right. Anything else? Um, I saw a Netflix uh, movie. Um,
0: well, I tell them tell them what you
4: were supposed to see, so that
0: they can know not to go see it because you couldn't even be bothered to do so.
4: Wait a second. I wouldn't. No, I don't want to do okay. that. To the movie, but I was going to. No, I was going to see. Um, you know, Fantastic Beasts uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, but I just couldn't peel myself away from my place to go watch it. So, um, but that does not mean I I can't assess the movie because I haven't seen it yet. and I don't want to do that. But it's it's fine. I will go see it though, Um, should I even go see it, um, you know, tomorrow after work or something. Anywho, instead I watched the Netflix original movie, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Um, You know, this... This came about because I, I remember back a little early on in the summer when Crazy Rich Asians came out. I didn't see the movie, but I, watched, I listened to many podcasts that reviewed the movie and they said that, hey, you like this movie or if you're interested in seeing this movie, please watch other movies with Asians
3: as the lead.
4: And one of them was this, this movie. And um,
3: Ali, is this the movie about the young girl with a crush, or she sent um, secret notes and got busted, or a yes. crush? Okay.
4: So the the idea behind the movie is that um, she she is an Asian girl in a an she's the product of an interracial marriage. Right and unfortunately, and her mother has since then passed away, and so now she's living with her sister and her um, her white father. Basically, Uh, the idea behind the her um, her motivation is that she tends to put all of her her thoughts in writing, and what she does is she does this thing where she would write something to a guy that she likes. She would address it or anything, but she just won't mail it. Like, it's it's almost like as if it's like, I'm putting a secret into here, but I'm not actually going to do anything with it. It's just her way of, of you know... And I think that's... I kind of think that... I feel like that's kind of healthy. You know? It's almost mm-hmm. like it's like a, like a diary. Like, some people, they hold everything inside and then it just sort of bursts and then they just act out. But that, I think... Even just subconsciously, she's actually doing something that a lot of therapists would recommend people to do. But it it just so happens that because of the circumstances of the movie, several of those things that she's put into like little little address little um envelopes, they actually get mailed out to all the boys she's loved before. <laughs>
1: uh,
4: <laughs> messy, and so so mess ensues. And it's it's a really fun coming of age sort of um, drama. I like how they do with everything, and and she being she being um, Asian, or of course a minority and whatnot. It's she learning how to navigate that space in high school because she's sixteen. Learn, she learning how to navigate that space and and sort of mature into the kind of, of of woman that I guess her mom would be proud of in the end. So.
1: Yeah, Okay. I would
4: recommend this movie um, to anybody who's you know willing to to give something like that a try. So yeah, and the movie's called "To All the Boys I've I've Loved Before." It stars Lana Condor, Noah um, Centineo, and Janelle Parish. Oh, and the director is Susan Johnson.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, Coffee, light, sweet. What you been watching?
3: Well. It's been like I said before we started. Um, can you hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, perfectly. Okay. Before we started uh taping, just the holidays and people are winding down the year, so it's been extremely stressful and everybody wants to wrap up before the holidays get in. So demands get <laughs> demands get more intense and the scheduling and projects and workload and everything. So my failsafe is Disney <laughs> or Pixar. And this week I watched Finding Nemo. I know, I know it was out like a thousand years ago.
4: Oh, this was your first time?
3: No, no. I saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters, but it was just such a special movie and it was just so sweet. And um, I liked the lesson um, that it taught children who watch the movie about why your parents might freak out or why they want you to check in with them. And even though you may be angry with them or they may be angry at you, um, if something were to happen to you, they would move heaven and earth to try to get to you, to try to find you. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was such a, a, a powerful message. And guys, what I have found is when I'm super stressed, man, I pull out, I pull out my animated flicks because I got to do something.
0: <laughs> it it makes to, it makes sense because it's like you takes
3: you to like a different world for a while. Yes, yes. Between social media, between current events, oh, between the um the the fires in California, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm praying for them, and 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 just everything. It's like you know what? Hmm. Yeah. Let me let me check out a little bit of uh, animation or something a little bit innocent, so I can try to escape for a while. So that's what I did this week.
4: <laughs> that's
0: good. And also, um, since a couple of months we brought it up, um, you know, uh, we hope everybody who's involved and affected by the fires out in California you know, we, yeah. Wish them best and yeah. lessons, the air
4: quality over there is complete shit. like everybody um, that I've seen online, I follow a few people um, online who are over there and they have purchased um, uh, ga- uh, masks to help mm. filter the air over there and every time they get up in the morning, uh, they've been posting like screenshots of their weather app and it says you know you know air quality. You know, very poor. Please be sure to stay inside or remember to carry around a mask or remember to, you know, don't... uh Air quality, the apocalypse. So, yeah, basically. Yeah, because like... It, so much Air, yeah, there's,
2: Air quality, Chernobyl, 45 days later. Lord wow. Jesus, wow. Yeah.
0: I mean, it is bad. Yeah. That's why there, there won't be an episode of the C-Dub show this week because Carolyn and them, you know, they're, they're most of them are out there in the Bay Area. And she mm. says they're out there looking like Mortal Kombat <sighs> with, like, masks on and everything. And she says, you know, people are getting sick. She doesn't feel well. Well, I don't feel well. Because, like, you know, the masks didn't come all at once. You know, it well, you got a certain point before they actually started giving out free masks. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead on to news. All right. So, first up in news, we're going to talk about we had three trailers that were released this week for... Upcoming movies that are all of them come out in 2019. So, the first one is the trailer for Tim Burton's remake, live action remake of Dumbo that comes out March 29th from Disney. Um, and it looks exactly like you would think a Tim Burton remake of Dumbo looks. All the color is gone.
4: <laughs> um, hey, 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 wait a second, wait. Say what you will. That man has a signature. Yes, he does.
0: And it's, written, and, and it's written in blood. Um, <laughs> all the color wow. is gone. Uh, is the, this
3: animate? Is it is it animation or something
0: different? It's Live action with c- with photorealistic CGI for the elephants. Mm-hmm. So like oh. and like we've got clowns with creepy makeup. Uh, there's no Johnny oh, Depp, no Helen um, Bonham Carter, but like we got the creepy makeup though still, and so. As opposed to Timothy DeMouse trying to help Dumbo, we have uh, two children, one of whom is played by Thaddee Newton's real-life daughter, and them and Colin Farrell, I believe, uh, yep. who's missing our it's arm. Like him. uh They are basically trying to help Dumbo find Mrs. Jumbo after the circus takes her away when Dumbo and his big ears become, you know, a major attraction. You know, I... I don't know. I didn't... So, I I like Dumbo up until the fucking crow show up in the original. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing just literally goes off a cliff at that point. Look at here, look <laughs> at here. Mama, when I be done seeing about everything, you know. Um, Ooh, I, wow, the, you know that part
4: well. I, I do. Because
0: I, <laughs> I watched the whole was, thing every time and I just sit there and I just, you
4: know, I'm like. I thought you would try to block it out, but no. No,
0: no. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna um, memorize that stuff. They they sing the song three times in the damn movie. Like it's hard to not get c- catch it up. But mm-hmm. um, just when the when the, um, the white voiced elephant singing that during like the last scene, like, well I be not over everything. I'm like, really? Y'all gonna do this? But yeah, but like, mm-hmm. but like the things I like about Dumbo, like the fact that it's you know a circus, it's bright colors and everything, and the simplicity. Dumbo is something that's so inherently cartoony in its layout, like a talking mouse, a flying elephant, you know, and very cartoony looking animal characters that making a live action version almost seems like an anticlimactic idea in general. Mm -hmm. And to Tim Burtonize it in quite this way, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm sure somebody out there is excited for this. And also... You know, people were talking about they're going to cry during the the, um, this, the baby mind scene, of course, you know, where they played the a song and Mrs. Jumbo reaches out to Dumbo from behind bars or whatever. But in this trailer, I hope this isn't the one to use it, because it's one of those, like, Kim was talking about a while ago, where they take a a, a song and they slow it way the fuck down and make it sound creepy for a movie. So it's like... You need
2: to give it
0: up. Yes. So it's like... So, so, so instead of... Baby wow. mind, dry your eyes, it's... No, that's not what's gonna happen,
4: Brandon. Here's what's gonna happen because they're not gonna make Dumbo. um, They're not gonna make Dumbo obviously sing, right? They're gonna make one of the girls talk, right? They're going to make. Remember the well. Remember the what they're gonna do. They're going to make one of the girls sing it.
0: No, Mm. nobody sings the song in the original. It's played over the scene, like a like a song in any other movie. Like Dumbo, right, the only yeah, characters in Dumbo who sing are the crows.
4: Yeah, but there are lyrics,
0: of course. The darkies sing. Yes, like Brandon. The rest, the rest but of the, there are lyrics. Yes, right. Yes. They're gonna play the song exactly. over, over the scene, like they like just like in the original. Just it's gonna be a slow dirge instead of like. A, I a bet you they're ballad. gonna make one
4: of the girls sing the song. Why? To make you cry. <laughs> How? It's going to be sad. They're going to make the girl, one of the girls is going to sing it like a lullaby. Did you hear, did you watch the trailer and hear the song? That's not a little girl singing. That's just a, that's just the, the trailer, that's just a song for the trailer. They might decide to change it up and um, have it be, because they've done it in trailers before, right? Yeah. So they'll just make, they'll just make it be one of the girls, she, that might just be for the OST, Brandon, right? Mm-hmm. But then for the actual movie, they might, one of the girls might sing it to, 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 to console uh, Dumbo. Have you seen Dumbo? Jeez. All right, never mind.
0: No, I'm asking because I'm sure you had Disney Channel for fucking free. You saw Dumbo, right? They used to show that shit all the time because it's only 64 minutes long.
4: Yeah, I am seeing. You remember the scene
0: ju- in the original, like Dump is Dumbo and his mom by themselves. I and understand. you are
4: going to might change it up. They might change they it up. They've already changed up enough. And I'm saying they might just change this so that way one of the girls might sing the song to Dumbo. That might be one of those those direct, director only things that you know that might piss off people. They'd be like, we don't want some little girl singing a song, or we don't want him to change it up that much. It, it could be one of those things. We'll talk about this. Song. When did you turn
2: into Ralph from um uh Sesame Street?
4: or or it could just be that you know they, they could just have like like you guys said it, they slow down the song will it make you cry though is what my question is will no, it make you cry I'm sorry I, I,
0: need, I need to have red ye- red, blue and yellow in a scene for me to be older, able to cry
4: ooh really I, it, so if, if something is dark and and frightening and just sort of sad and and, and you know sorrowful that's not going to make you cry it's no up <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm not excited for this. Um,
4: Dang. I just ain't. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, what, hey, you know what? So here's the thing. What if this movie just surprises you? Like it, you go watch it and you're like, man, I'm actually presently surprised by this, given it being a Tim Burton movie. Then I'd be worried mm-hmm. for Shazam, which come out the, comes out the week after. But Shazam isn't um, isn't directed by Tim Burton. But it's direct competition for a Dumbo. Oh, you don't want Dumbo to win, I see. Mm. Brandon <laughs> has Brandon has skin in the game. You see, you see, Ken, what you have to understand is there's a method to my madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will always have the truth. Eventually. Lord Jesus.
0: Um, the second trailer that came out was for Toy Story 4. Where there well, there's actually two trailers. Well, teasers. Two yeah, teasers. Two teasers. So one just all the characters sort of kind of bouncing and then like this like this fork. Wire person thing is like, I'm
4: not
2: a
0: toy I'm not a toy
4: I'm not a toy
2: They're basically trying to introduce us And make us like the the new characters in the film Yeah, and the second
0: one was Of um, Bun- Key and Peel as Bunny and Ducky Who are two like uh, Fair prize Toys who, listen I was not expecting this teaser To be as ethnic as it was uh, Bunny and Ducky are might niggas. as well have had the
2: crows. <laughs> no,
0: it's, wow. it's, it's not bad. It's just that they were like, "Oh shoot!" I love Toy Story. He's like doing the moonwalk across the um, the thing. I'm like, they, they are, they are, they are blacking it up, aren't
4: they? <laughs> they were the crows.
0: <laughs> it wasn't that bad.
4: So wait, so is this so is this a Toy Story version of cow and?
0: Sucking and driving is what you're probably what you uh, wow. I don't think it's that bad. I just I was surprised that they let them be like characters who are clearly like black, <laughs> mm. like the crows. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, they aren't like the crows. Uh, mm. Well, at least they're all choice by you black. You don't know people.
2: nothing about science,
0: yeah. You don't know nothing <laughs> about no science. <laughs> yeah. he said that. At least they're voiced by actual black people because the crows were all like black, like the Howard Johnson Choir, except for the leader who's voiced by Cliff Edwards, the voice of Jimmy motherfucking cricket. And the leader. Jimmy Cricket's and, not black? No. Um, what's that white man's name? Cliff Edwards. Hmm. And also the lead crow's name in Dumbo, Jim. Ooh. Jim Crow. Wow. Oh wow! I could have done. I
4: could have done without knowing that.
0: Yeah, it it wasn't said in the movie, but that was what they titled their um, the model sheets and stuff. That's what they knew him as inside the studio. He was Jim Crow, played by the white man. Yeah, Hmm. played by the white man.
4: Well, they couldn't let us into the studio, (laughs) except to clean it.
2: Wow! Uh, <laughs> and the third—why do I just see like like some old black woman coming through her mopping broom, like Carol Burnett show, just like doing a Negro spiritual, humming slowly, and she's seeing this this model sheet for Jim Crow, like, and her, her hum gets a little louder, like, <laughs> only one thing—it
0: wouldn't have been a woman back then. They wouldn't have let a woman be the janitor; it had to be a man. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen. women, black women clean white people's houses. Black men clean white people's places of employment. Hmm. Yeah. The the degenerate Warner Brothers was a black man. Uh, Chuck Jones gives a whole loving page long tribute to him. I'm sure at the same time while he was making his 1944 cartoon short Angel Puss about a racist caricature of a black... Okay, I'm getting off topic. (laughs)
2: Angel Puss. Wow. Yeah.
0: This this is like the super militant episode of the show. I'm here for it. Um, and the third trailer, which Ali, which set Ali off, was for <laughs> the Warner Brothers. Legendary Pictures production of Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which has which stars Justin Smith, black kid, and what black get- young man from the Get Down as a young man named Tim, whose father was a Pokemon trainer. He himself isn't one, but he actually comes across Pikachu, uh, Pikachu, Detective Pikachu, with a little hat on, who he finds out that the two of them can understand each other. They can talk. He can understand Pikachu. And he sounds a lot like Deadpool because it's Ryan Reynolds doing the voice and apparently the motion capture for what? Why is it motion captured? There was motion capture? Because it didn't feel like the lips lined up. Yeah, like, I don't know why they motion captured it. You can just animate it. It'd probably be easier and better. But hey, I don't work there. Um, and so it's the whole adventure basically about how the two of them are trying to team up to help find Justin Smith's dad. Mm-hmm. And they're encountering on their way all of your favorite Pokemon, who are rendered in um, very detailed uh, 4K CGI with fur and skin and scales and stuff and Ali was not here for it. I was creeped out by the fur. The <laughs> fur. fur is
4: creeping yeah. me out.
0: <laughs> really?
4: <laughs> but this is what yeah. this
0: is what fur. these characters would look like if they were real. Like they didn't stray too far from the actual design. They just
4: put fur on I don't disagree with you. <laughs> I'm just saying that it creeps me out. It's the way Pikachu's fur looks it's like when you blow dry something that has hair on it and the hair stands on end. Because you know It looks like, like a, dander. Uh, yeah. A dog dog's fur don't just stand up on end. They they lie on each other, you know, like you know what I mean? So that way when you pet it, it's like that smooth sort of thing. Pikachu's fur looks like someone just blew air through the entire thing. And though he's just he's perpetually petrified. I mean, I mean, he is kind of like an electric
2: creature, so that actually kind of makes sense that yeah, his that, hair would, I mean, make, would maybe stand again, up like that because.
4: And again, all of that makes perfect sense, but when I watch it, it looks creepy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's it just, it creeps me out to watch it move and stuff. I mean, the others look just fine. Like, I mean, the ones that have scales on them. What about and, Jigglypuff? That one also looks creepy as heck to me but again like i said in the um i think i told you before in the in the actual in-game like notes for that character it is said that that character has a lot of fur on it even though the way it's rendered because of the video game graphics it doesn't look like it but if it was in real world it would actually look like that but that doesn't make it not creepy (laughs) (laughs) well i think it looks
0: great i'm excited to see this movie i hope it's good I was very impressed. I was not expecting to like this trailer at all. But then uh, it got started. I was like, oh, this is delightful.
4: People are saying that this might be the first actual good video game movie. Um, I don't know. Uh, You know, I haven't seen all the video games. None of the rest of
0: them have been good.
4: Very rarely video game movies do good. Trying to think, people don't like Resident
0: Evil's, I guess. None of those
2: Resident Evil's are like glorified B movies, okay. And Mortal Kombat was definitely that, even though I
0: mean, Street Fighter Fighter
4: was definitely that, yep. All of the Street Fighters that were really bad. Um, then there was um, Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers, really terrible, absolutely terrible. What's your name, Mario?
0: Your first name, Luigi, or your last name, Mario? Wait, what's his name, Mario? What's his last name, Mario? Wait, so. What uh, Mario Mario Luigi Mario. We're the Mario brothers.
4: Really? Why did you commit that to memory?
0: Because it I couldn't get it out once I saw it. It was burned forever.
4: Did you see it in the theaters? I
0: did see it in the goddamn theater. Holy crap. Wow. How I was saw that, that like? shit on a torture. Parts of it were fun and goofy, but then when they actually got to the dinosaur world and it's like that's supposed to be a Guma? That's supposed to be Big Bertha? That's supposed to be a Mabal? <laughs> what the fuck is this? Why is it like are inside of a goddamn discovery zone? What is going on here? Why is Luigi very clearly played by a Latin dude? What is going on here? Why is King Koopa white? What is going on here? Why is the why is there a fungus everywhere? I know it's like, that's some shit that doesn't translate well. The whole idea of that King Koopa took over and changed everybody to mushrooms. They changed everybody to a, a goddamn... Ugly-looking fungus that just spread across the entire sets of every shot of the motion picture—just disgusting. What? What is the?
4: What is going on? But Why? They, but they are making a Super Mario uh, movie soon.
0: Yeah, it's animated. Praise <laughs> Jesus.
4: So so there's that. In front of people they, who do, so do the, might, uh, the so you might find so some it. solace in you know the fact that they're doing something better to read that terrible Mario movie out of your head.
0: Bob Hoskins. They asked him. What was his biggest regret? He says starring in Super Mario Brothers. Oh wow! Really? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. he did. <laughs> Rest his soul. All right, Next up, so Aquaman. Um, I saw an article somebody, a video somebody posted the that said D. Marco Man's DC Second Chance. I took issue with that because first of all, DC don't make this shit. It'd be it be one, but a third chance because we forget about Green Lantern. You forget that shit, and just that shit bothers me. Like. People want there to be a uh, competitor to Marvel. There isn't. Marvel's better than everybody. Just accept it. It's fine. (laughs) But um, Mm -hmm. that being said, Aquaman had their Chinese premiere this past weekend. Um, Amber Heard and Jason Momoa and James wan were there. Amber Heard wore a very nice and very edgy outfit to the premiere. And Mm -hmm. so the movie comes out, of course, across the world at various stages um, during the first couple weeks of December. We don't get it in the States until December the 20th. I think the 18th. Uh, But if... No, I think we actually get it the 20th. But if you have Amazon Prime, you can actually see it on Saturday the 15th. Really? Yeah. Not not for free. Not for free. Let me make sure I say that. Basically, um, there are certain theater chains that... Um, Yeah, it actually comes out the 21st But you know how they show That's a Friday They know how they show it On Thursday So Mm -hmm. the the 20th But like on the 15th Which is a Saturday If you can go to a Regal I mean most of your major theater chains Will allow you to buy a ticket To a special 7 o'clock screening Of Aquaman Um, I don't know when the tickets go on sale But they'll probably sell out Uh, Apparently they did this for Jumanji 2 And for Hotel Transylvania 3 Last Mm -hmm. year But I didn't hear about Dose because I would have bought one for Jumanji Two, which I eventually saw. It was good, but I would like to see Aquaman early if it's possible. So yeah. So how
3: does that work? You 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 log in on your Amazon Prime account and get a confirmation and take that to the theater to show the people.
0: I believe to get your ticket, or
3: you show them your phone when you log in at the theater. I I'm because you let's actually you're saying you still have to go to the theater, like you don't. Yeah, you don't stream it live, live at home. You have to. You have to go to a a theater. Right? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's not me streaming okay. live okay. anywhere. Yeah. Okay. We
0: ain't get. They ain't giving the um the hackers the shit right that early. That's what uh. I thought. Yeah. I was like,
3: that's gonna be that's gonna be crazy if you can stream that at home. Mm-mm. But yeah. yeah, not Aquaman.
0: No Aquaman. Right. They they need that to be a success because you know they're. Bottom lines depend upon that shit. Uh, I can't see where to buy it yet on Amazon, but I'm sure it'll pop up at some point. I, they talk,
3: I heard tickets went on sale yesterday. Um, so hmm. I'm thinking you, I'm thinking, well, if you have an Amazon Prime account, when it becomes available, you probably just buy it through your Amazon account and then you take you take that confirmation. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how this is going to work.
0: Yeah, what the mechanics are like. I'm going exactly. I'm to I'm look into it as we continue through the show and try to pick around through like the, the Regal website and see if I can find what's going on here. Is Aquaman not in 3D? No, hmm. I thought it was
3: just regular... 2D, right?
0: Because I, I just went to the Regal and it, it said Aquaman the IMAX 2D experience. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought I saw the poster that it is in 3D. I'm pretty sure it's in really? 3D, but like maybe Regals isn't showing it in 3D. 3D um,
3: would make sense because of just the theme of the movie was just so many beautiful yeah. water creatures and waves and
0: and how they're all underwater and everything <laughs> mm-hmm. and doing yeah. their stuff. It
3: just makes sense. I mean even three.
2: Something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Even from the trailers I've seen, like I really want to see that in 3D.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, that, like I can't imagine like that scene where like the in the trailer where uh Black Manta like shoots shoots his lasers and blows up that tower? And it's kind of like they do that spin around. Like you could tell that was made for 3D. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So you guys think uh you think uh, Aquaman is gonna bring DC back? You think this is it?
0: Uh, I, here's the thing I think is going to happen. Uh-oh. I think Aquaman would be good. I think it will be entertaining. I feel like it will end up being underwritten. Mm. Like, sort of mm. kind of the way that Iron Man 1 was. Where it was entertaining, but it was very clearly like, we could have done more, but we wanted to go simple. I think they're going to try to use it as a regrouping thing. I don't think it's going to bring them, it's not going to bring them back to where they should be, or certainly not to where they uh, can compete with Marvel, per se, but it will be a good like feather in their cap as far as like, okay, this one's good. This one's okay. I enjoyed it. I don't think, because looking at their schedule, there's nothing on there that's going to be like a gigantic hit on the level of like a Marvel movie that they are right now. Shazam won't be because it skews quote-unquote too young and comic book fans have always have hated Shazam since 1973. Um, Joker is more of an art house film as it is anyway way they're trying to get uh, Joaquin Phoenix an Oscar. So it's going to piss off comic book fans, and they won't support it, basically. But, like, the critics will like it, and we will make a lot of money. It's cheap anyway. Birds of Prey comes out in February, and it's cheap. It might do good, but it also stars Hardy Quinn and what can be favorably described as B-level superheroes and supervillains. Okay. Um, And what's after that? Wonder Woman comes out in June. Wonder Woman will do fine. That'll that'll quote-unquote bring them back, but I think by then it'll be quote-unquote too late. But so we'll
3: my my question is: Can Aquaman hold it together until Wonder Woman comes on the scene? Is mm-hmm. it is it? Do you think it'll be big enough to just, that's, you know, keep the trains moving until Wonder Woman can come seal it seal a deal? You that's, think that's too big of a gap? It's like that's like a twenty yeah.
0: month gap. So yeah, it, even if it was that good, it couldn't. Even yeah. if Shazam was good, which it better be, of course, y'all know I'm rioting, Um, That's still a 17 month gap. I mean, wow. it, it would have to be Aquaman have to overperform, Shazam would have to overperform, overperform, Joker would have to overperform, and Berserker would have to overperform. They would have to get. Wow. They would have to get like at least like a double or a triple in each of those, in order to get yeah. the Wonder Woman.
3: So what's the solution to bring DC back then?
0: Well they could start by actually letting DC work on their own goddamn movies. That, that could be a good start. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, part of the problem is that they're trying to take the shit and change it when part they don't have to. parts of it don't need to be fucking changed. It's people who don't like comic books working on movies. The same way that the Fox movies, that the X-Men movies aren't as good as they could be because people who make them don't like the material. They think this doesn't work when it actually does. Same way that sony and the whole venom thing it's like you don't have to be perfectly respectful of the comic books but there's certain shit you don't need to change one thing that about aquaman at least looks to be working is they are leaning into like the whole fantasy magic thing part of it which i'm sure if um zach snyder was still around to be more black leather and fucking like dude bro shit around but they're trying our best to pivot back towards you know um, bright colors and magic and weird monsters underneath the water and stuff and try for that. I know Snyder's still credited as an executive producer on it, but he don't have shit to do other than just collect the check on this movie. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they can come back. Speaking of um, Birds of Prey, though, they cast um, Ella J. Bosco as Cassandra Kane, who in the comics com- um, ends up becoming a Batgirl. girl. Right.
2: She okay, was I mean, Batgirl at one point. Right. Now, but when they, um, I mean, this is a comic book lore, but she'll probably be Batgirl again at some point. But, uh, no, I doubt that. Cause they, they kind of like, I don't know. It depends on what they do. They like the comics to mirror the movies at some different points, Right, but, uh, they kind of DC did a reboot of their comic book line a few years ago. And Cassandra Kane wasn't Batgirl anymore, but she came this character known as orphan. Okay. Instead. Um, but she's still a member of the Bat family. But yeah, um, in the comics, she was a um, basically raised by her father, an assassin named Cain. Uh, to basically, she didn't learn language. She learned how to pe- read people's body language in order to make her a better assassin. Oh, dear. And so, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, that was tailor-made for a movie character.
0: Yeah, it was. So, of course, Ella J. Bosco, I think she's 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So like they, actually, they get her in the movie Doing stunts and stuff That's gonna be awesome to see It'd be like Kick I'll say Dante Basco's
4: uh, Niece apparently
0: Yes yeah, yeah. She's Dante Basco's Niece and goddaughter For those who don't know Who Dante Basco is You know who he is He was the down Asian dude In all the black movies And TV shows Back in the 90s He also starred in Hook As the leader of the Lost Boys And the movie You remember the movie Faking the Funk y'all From 97 I think it was About the Asian kid Who got adopted By the black family I think so. And he was dating I Tatiana so. Ali?
3: Yes.
0: Yeah, that was Dante Bosco. <laughs>
3: what?
2: That's, so he's kind of like the... Um, oh, and he was the voice of Zuko on, um, um, on Avatar. Uh,
4: Avatar, yep. Yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, so basically he's like the Asian Bumper Robinson. Yes, he is the Asian Bumper Robinson. <laughs>
0: And so when when um, when his niece got this part, he was on um, Twitter. He was on like uh, Instagram, saying like, "So proud of my niece and everything." When I saw Bosco, I was like, "She she gotta be related because she's 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 Filipino." He's Filipino. I was like, "She gotta be related." And of course, she is. Um, so yeah, it's
4: a cute little legacy thing going on there. You see, her parents. <laughs> no, Dante's either. Dante Dante's sister went to her and was like, "Put her
0: on." <laughs> yep. Shout a to letter. Um, See, I actually do want to see Birds of Prey Even if it's okay I want to see her But I also want to see Journey Smollett As um, Black Canary Uh, I actually So, Ken I finally started listening To Questlove Supremes uh, Questlove's Mm -hmm. podcast On Pandora Mm -hmm. And none of y'all told me There was an episode Where they had Almost all the Smollett kids In the same room Just like your dream Yeah, like everybody Except for 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 Jockay was there So you had you had Journey, you had Justin, you had Jazz, you had JoJo, and you had Jake, and they were full niggas up in there. It was like it was like it was it was ridiculous. They were in there, they were acting a fool. They were cracking on people to talk about bitch ass Greg from the block.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they were talking. They were singing um songs. They were singing the theme song to Biotic Six, the theme song Of SWB Week. They were just in there acting a entire fool. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. This is the you see. That's why I want Jesse off of uh, fucking Empire and onto like a comedy show where he can actually be do more with what with his natural abilities. And I and and, and and like I said, when she was cast, Journey Smollett is too goddamn good to play Black Canary. Everybody complaining about her being black. So she doesn't have blonde hair. Black Canary wears a motherfucking wig. Y'all be fine.
4: Yeah, I don't. I don't see what the big deal is, man. Like Racism. Just, there's, so times, there's so many times when when, when actors or actresses are chosen. And we think to ourselves, man, I don't know if I would have chosen that person. But then all of a sudden, they're in the movie and they knock it out of the park. We've seen just, Underground. Yeah, just <laughs> so, yeah, just wait until she shows up and just let her do her thing and then voila. So, it, yeah. My God. Uh, next up. So we talked uh, one
0: or two weeks ago about Filmstruck, Warner Brothers' the streaming service that shows all the old classic movies and the Criteria Collection being shut down abruptly at the end of this month. So every director in Hollywood, just about, um, Benicio Del Toro, uh, well, act, director and actor, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, Barbara Streisand, Leonardo DiCaprio, David Giselle, Christopher Nolan... Edgar Wright and um what's my man's name who did um, um they have all banded together to um, appeal directly to Warner Brothers um chairman Toby Emmerich to beg him to bring back Filmstruck, citing its importance and necessity to showcase classic cinema, classic and independent cinema in Hollywood. The thing is. Filmstruck was only going away because they're gonna take its entire library, including the criterion shit, and put it into their brand new Warner Media all encompassing streaming service. But of course, Oh my
2: God. If they call it Warner Media, I'm dead. Well, that's the name, that
0: that's now the new name of the like the of the conglomerate. It's not Time Warner anymore. It's Warner. No, Warner. but I mean if they call the
2: streaming service Warner Media, oh, they might. It's like, it's like <laughs> Please don't. Please.
0: Uh-oh. Cause I mean,
2: it's not like Disney Plus is that much better.
0: Well, <laughs> that's why they're doing it. Because after AT&T finalized the purchase, they're like, why don't we have a Disney Plus? We have enough uh, properties for it, which they do. So now they're going to do it. But they did it by shutting down half the shit they already had. They shut down Drama Fever, which showed all the Korean movies and TV shows. And they shut down Filmstruck. Basically, take those, keep the uh, staff, and have to mm-hmm. reskin it and put more stuff on it. And that's how you'll have your Warner Media streaming service. So they'll have i wonder what's, what. What? Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just wondering what's going... Well, I'll ask after you get done. So, but people, you know, they sh- what they should not have done was shut down Filmstruck and Drama Fever so early because it'll be a mm-hmm. whole year before this thing is finishing out. And so people are upset because uh, Filmstruck was the exclusive streaming partner of the Criterion Collection. So Criterion themselves said, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. So now they're going to debut a new... Solo Criterion streaming service sometime in spring, but Warner Brothers will still have the rights to show the criteria movies on their streaming service when it comes out in late twenty
2: nineteen mm-hmm. right. that's yeah silly, but they probably wanted to just free up those resources to work on that the one project, yep, that's what I'm guessing, yeah that's why they couldn't like as far as trying to like. You know, like you're saying, even though it, you know, the new streaming service isn't going to com- happen for a while. They like they, in order to really support it, they need, you know, they're not going to be able to probably do that, right? They they didn't want to bring in more people
0: to do that. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, especially with a merger, that it's like you know, after they do all those things, they always try to find find ways to save money mm-hmm. and uh, to you know to keep costs down. Fire all the so, HR people.
0: It's usually what happens. HR and
2: support staff.
0: Um. Next up. Speaking of corporate politics, um, Shannon Dungy, the first black woman to be the head of a major uh, broadcast TV network, has stepped down from her position as the president of ABC Entertainment. She's been replaced by Katie Burke, who used to work at Freeform in original programming development. Mm -hmm. Katie Burke, of course, is a blonde-headed white woman. Um, Shannon Dungy um, caught a lot of heat earlier in the year for first... For first, green lighting, and then canceling the reboot of Roseanne, which starred Roseanne Barr, who is broken as a racist piece of trash on um, social media. And when she said the thing about Valerie Jarrett being a gorilla ape monkey, that's when they decided to cancel her program and revamp it as the Connors without her and kill her off. Um, and it wasn't that that got her, <coughs> that, that <coughs> inspired her to step down. More so, it was the fact that you know, with the whole Disney Fox merger going on, apparently she and uh, Dana Walden, who is going to be running ABC Studios, like the entire ABC, like the TV, the whole TV side of Disney, basically, more or less. Apparently, they don't get along very well, mm-hmm. so she's out. Um, Channa Dunge is. Wow. The rumor is that she might go work with Shonda at Netflix or with Barack and Michelle Obama at Netflix. That's what the rumor is that she's like trying to get her, get on, you know. She's trying to jump ship to Netflix herself like um Kenya Barris and Shonda did. Mm-hmm.
3: This sounds really strange to me. What do you think really happened?
0: I think she got fired. I think that um the new her new boss I don't know if this Dana is a man or a woman, because you know Dana could be either. I'm gonna look up right quick. And Dana, see. Dana, Dana, Dana. But like basically, I think it was one of the things where somebody comes in during the merger. They're your new boss. They don't see it for you, and so they ask you to put in your resignation so it looks better for the resume. It's a woman. Dana Wilder is a woman. She's a, this is currently the CEO of Fox, and she'll become the head of the ABC TV network, basically. Like, because, you know, they split ABC into entertainment and news. Mm-hmm. So they have different different presidents for each. So, yeah. Um, very
3: interesting. This is
0: very interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, but this this always happens when you have a merger. Like, there's always people who get shown the door because the new person comes in and they, you know, they want to kick some heads around and try to, you know, put their stamp and their foot on the department and show that they mean business and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I know that certain people that we know don't like Chen and Dungeon because she canceled certain programs with theirs, Asian Carter, that they liked. So they're probably happy about this shit. I ain't. She Um, did
3: make some bold moves, though. I got to give her that. It was like, yeah, she sure did. Yeah,
1: she sure did. (laughs) I'll I'll (laughs)
3: leave
0: you (laughs) okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Put it back in the box. Back in the box. Put it back in the box, Jennifer. Back in the box.
3: Oh, <laughs> he came hard. He came. <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, next up. Uh, uh, John Cryer, star of formerly star of Two and a Half Men, uh, has been cast by supergirl the cw to play lex luthor in the second half of season four supergirl i'm really getting tired of the cw getting these community theater looking actors to
2: play my favorite characters
0: <laughs> so john cryer apparently played Lenny luthor nephew to lex luthor gene Happing, lex luthor in the superman four: the quest for peace in 1987 generally mm. regarded as a flop um Mm. So he will now be playing Luthor himself in this new version. And since he comes from a mostly comedy background, I'm assuming they're going to have him play the Hackman version of Lex Luthor. Because, you know, also, the CW shows love to give you some, like, 80s, like, tease with these characters. Like, they love to do that. Especially with Supergirl, there's a whole lot of that Christopher Reeve stuff. Y'all saw the pictures from the crossover, right? Of Superman and Lois Lane in the Fortress of Solitude. And they had um what's her name? Bitsy um Tulak, who's playing Lois Lane. Somebody apparently in wardrobe had Margot Kidder's gal from 1977, took it, took it the cleaners, had it pressed and put it on her. Because <laughs> it's a, it looks like the exact same outfit. You make from, it sound like it's like 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 here, put this on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure <laughs> they, they, I'm sure they probably just redesigned it and had somebody make something similar, but in my head, cat, they just took it out the um out the mouthballs and took it and had it pressed and like gave it to her. Cause like, are you
3: talking about that calf? It's like a calf tan kind of like. I know what you're talking about. The, it,
0: the scene it, of Superman Part One, where she interviews Superman and like the whole yes. thing about what color panties are having. So there's right. if you look for pictures of the um I posted it in the group. There's a picture like a promo picture for the new crossover that comes out on the CW the first week of December this year, and a uh-huh. Superman and Lois Lane. They're standing in the Fortress of Solitude because they're surrounded by crystals. And she's wearing that outfit.
3: I know the gown you're talking yes. about.
0: <laughs> oh, no. So I'm assuming that they hired John Cryer because of his connection to, of to Superman already. not that's because he's a comedian. And he'll be mm-hmm. playing like that Gene Hackman, Luthor, who I know, I know a lot of folks don't like that version. Because he's really goofy, you know, Otisberg,
3: Otisberg, right. you know. And he had the secretary or his yeah. girlfriend.
0: Miss Teshmacher.
3: She was Teshmacher. <laughs> yeah. Teshmacher?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't wait for the nerd rage. It's gonna be epic. Nerd Rage. Ken, are you gonna participate in it? It sounds like you don't like this casting choice either. I mean, if I was gonna watch it. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens. Like,
3: I can't see him as Lex Luthor,
0: though. I, I just, I could see him as. Really? I mean, shave his head, shave his beard, put him okay. in a suit.
3: <laughs> but does he have the chops to pull off a villain?
0: I'm, I'm not sure. If I'm, if I'm, I, 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 we'll find. We had to wait. That's the only thing I can say. Like, because I mean, also, I'm imagining that for Luthor, they had some pretty extensive auditions as it was, anyways, and meetings mm-hmm. and shit. They didn't just see, get John Cryer and bring him in. Like, I'm sure that people had to fight for that part because it's like, it's Lex fucking Luthor. Like, <laughs> I'm sure everybody right. thinks they could have done better than Jesse Eisenberg, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm trusting the process. We'll see if my trust is rewarded in January when he debuts on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, next up. Hey. So, who here knows about Oswald the Lucky Rabbit?
4: Uh, I, I I believe for you I know that it used to be what, what would soon become Mickey Mouse, right?
0: That's I mean, that's generally correct So Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was a Walt, or early 1920s Walt Disney character Who Appeared in a series of cartoons that Disney produced For Universal Pictures And basically, you know It was like, you know, your typical like silent cartoons From back in the day And how it basically worked was that Oswald was very popular. Disney went to New York to meet with the people at Universal to get a renewal for a second season of cartoons. They wanted to cut his budget. He quit. He came back to California. He fretted. They created Mickey Mouse by basically taking the ears and redesigning them. The story Walt always told was that on the train ride back, he created Mickey Mouse by himself, but that's not true. Ub by Works did the actual work on that. Let's be for real today. But, So there is only, I believe, 26 Oswald cartoons that the Disney studio actually made themselves. Of those, I believe, seven are lost. There's 27 cartoons, Oswald cartoons. Of those, let me count the ones that are lost. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, So there's five of them that are lost. They fat, They just found a new one. It is called Neck and Neck. And apparently they found it in Japan, where an 84-year-old Japanese man bought that cartoon or print of it when he was a teenager. Didn't know that you know it was lost or whatever, so I'm guessing when he went through his stuff, he found it. He had it brought over, and so now they've preserved it. So I think it's missing two minutes of it, but they have five minutes, so I guess that's, you know, that's better than nothing. So yeah, so now they have this cartoon again. That's like one of those things with, like, lost films. It's like you always find them in weird places and at weird times.
4: But it's always good when they do find them, I think. I I know. So so will they possibly... I mean, will we ever see an Oswald cartoon? Oh, I mean, future? they they released the ones they already had
0: on DVD a couple of years ago in one of those Walt I mean Disney Treasures see- um, ten um, boxes.
4: I mean to say, is who we see a revamp like a hey, let's take this this character this character is super old. But he hasn't appeared in anything contemporary. Let's put him in something contemporary.
0: They put him in a video game. I forgot what it's called. Um, some recent video game, not recent. Like like it was like like four or five years ago. Let me see if I can find it. Epic Mickey two. Oh, okay, so yeah. he was in that. Yeah, he's in that. Because apparently, what happened was that Universal still owned the rights to Oswald. They gave them back to Disney like in two thousand and pop 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 six I believe yeah they tra- they did a trade for like um, several assets with um, Universal basically including that was the contract of Al of um, Al Michaels from ESPN to NBC Sports
4: <laughs> and so you know they- what they should do. they should put him in they should put him in Kingdom Hearts the video game I mean they could maybe they will you know because that that basically encompasses a lot of Disney property Right. So just put it put it into that. Yeah, they could they could definitely do that. Like, strung up some some uh some uh, you know, some uh interest in this character.
0: Yeah,
4: I could see that happening. Um, Game
0: of Thrones season seven, the final season, will air in April. That's what everybody estimated it was going to be. Right. More or less. I mean, yeah,
4: more or less. Yeah. I'm I'm a little Game of Thrones out. <laughs> I will watch this, movie, but it's I, I think, and I, I had this I have this discussion with friends of mine all the time from since a couple of years ago, where Game of Thrones is one of those shows where once you once you and once you add a certain element to the show, mm-hmm. um, as people who know the show, um, when you add the element of the white walkers where which are essentially um you know ice zombies from up north all the mess and the drama that's been happening in all the kingdoms in game of thrones all that becomes almost irrelevant because it's like what does it matter who's sleeping with who there's a giant army of ice zombies coming in (laughs) like so instead of so what you're actually waiting for, uh, if you if you have your wits about you, is who is going to rise up against ice zombies? Because in the end of the sh- if in, in, in the end what should happen? Ali, right, you know, be really
0: quick, just continue. I'll be right back. But go ahead, keep continuing.
4: Sorry, I was saying that in the end of everything, it should really just be ice zombies versus whatever it is that the protagonists decide to do to fight against them, because essentially there's, it really doesn't matter anymore. Like who's killing who or whatever. It just, all that, it it also makes it seem like as if, man, all these things that used to happen in all the previous seasons, all those things seem really petty and trifling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. I
3: I agree, Ali. I think that sometimes when you're on a roll, because at one point, Game of Thrones was like the hottest thing on the planet in terms of just, you just, it was everything. And there's always a, a danger in riding yourself into a corner, um because when you go so far up and it's so successful, um yeah, how can you top yourself right? Yeah. and this is the last this is it, like it's wrapping up, and it's gone forever, correct? this is it, yeah, so you know you want to leave you want to go out with a bang, you want to make the fans happy, you want to be true to you know the the essence of the show there's a lot riding on this and the only thing I can think is I'm not a, a super, super stan of Game of Thrones, but I know enough to be dangerous. I have a question for you, Ali. Sure. Okay. Like I said, you know, show some mercy, but because, <laughs> you know, Game of Thrones fans, they, they take it si- super serious, but... Yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> so there was an episode mm-hmm. where... The, the 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 White Walker King, the White Walker King. Right. He saw John Snow and he looked at him. Don't tell, don't ask me what episode it was, but I know you know the episode I'm talking about. It was the episode where the <laughs> the, the the ice king, I know I'm not saying it right, he looked at Jon Snow and gave him this look. It was a it was a look of like I know who you are. Like he, it it was kind of like, oh, so it's you. Do you know the episode I'm talking about?
4: Um, I'm. I
3: think. um, Is this? It it, it was a while back. Um, Now, because that always stuck out to me. Okay. It's almost as if the Ice King recognizes the role that Jon Snow represents and he's wait. He, he's sort of like positioning himself like, we'll meet again. We'll meet again. Like, it's going to happen. And yes. I hope that you're ready because I'll be ready. We will meet again, so, Dr. Quest. So yes. that's what if- I'm thinking is going to happen. The final, final showdown of showdowns of showdowns of showdowns is when this Ice King and John Snow finally have the ultimate, and his name is Snow. Hmm, Ice King. Yeah. Hmm.
4: So here's the here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's it's weird because it's it's so funny to hack hacken back to this one little simple thing, but mm-hmm. the funny thing is is like this. The book series is called A Song of Ice and Fire.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Right. And so once they once you. I forgot what book they, they introduced the fact that, yes, there are these, these creatures that are beyond the wall in the north. Once you enter those in, then you get the ice part of this. Now mm-hmm. you you read onto the books to find out which is the fire part. And the fire part is clearly Daenerys. Who right, is the dragons. Mother of dragons, right? So what you're waiting for for the finale is the fight, the fire and ice. They have to clash somehow whoever is, whatever they need to do in the story to make it happen, mm-hmm. it just needs to happen. So that way in the end you get fire versus ice. And right. so if you have, so it was just revealed, um, spoilers for Game of Thrones, it was just revealed that Jon Snow is actually of the same family as Daenerys, mother of dragons.
3: That's going to hurt his heart because they, they, they had sex. Yes, yes, they did.
4: Uh, so so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that that's happening. But so so we now know, so now we have the complete, the set, which is the fire. We have the, these two people born under, born, uh, they, they, they represent the fire part. And then you have the, the, the Night King, who is the leader of the, mm-hmm. I, the White Walkers. And mm-hmm. so two will clash together. At this point, I don't care who's sleeping with who. I don't care who right. is... Do and I don't care who has the promise that they need to make to whoever. Right, <laughs> it's that's where I've gotten to. So I'm waiting for that particular, you know, clash to happen to just mm-hmm. see, you know, where we end up in the story. So that that's it yep. really for 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 Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah. if
3: you would watch. not want to be in the writers' room because they're not sleeping, they're not going home, they haven't well, seen their families.
4: So here's the other thing too: the 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 fans of the show and people watching are very pissed with. Um, with George R.R. R. Martin, author of, of The Song of Ice and Fire, because that man takes forever and a day to write one book.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And that and that's before the, the show came out, right? He would take five to six years to write one book. Right? Let me just let me just come let me just draw your comparison. Uh R- JK Rowling for Harry Potter mm-hmm. takes about two to three. <laughs> wow. So five to six years to write a book. Dude, I'm not do you think I'm going to re-read, reread your book every 2 years so I remember where you are? No. I mean, he, he's fishy. writing it like this here. G, huh? A, yeah.
0: M, E space space wait darn.
4: <laughs> yeah, My space. That's O. <laughs> um, I am of the mind that he's never going to finish. He has no intention of finishing because he's already dipped his foot into actual production. Like he's actually been in the writer's room for the show. It's a, and now I'm hearing that he actually is part of the writing staff and production for the prequel. Mm -hmm. Of the the series that they're doing. So this dude is, he's burning, it's either he's burning the midnight oil or he's burning both ends of the camp. That man is old, Ali. He goes to bed at six. Yes. Listen. (laughs) You know, like right after his bridge game, I'm just saying, like, Mm -hmm. it's not even, I don't think he's writing this book. I don't think he's ever intending to finish because the showrunners are going to finish it for him. Mm-hmm. I think fans are just going to have to take it like that.
3: Unfortunately, do you think this will come to theaters one day? Um, they is there, might. Decide. Is there enough? If is there enough demand for it to 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 go to that next level? Well, people. I have a it?
4: feeling that what's going to happen is that for the finale episode itself, they mm-hmm. might decide let's put this in theaters. Yeah,
0: because huh. all of these episodes for this last season are going to be like feature length, like they're all like upwards like seventy five minutes.
4: Okay. Yeah, so I think they're just gonna be like, "Hey, let's just throw this into the theater and make it a thing," and you know, and they go out, like you said, go out for a bang, right? Right. So okay.
0: Next up, uh, Pedro Pascal has been uh, cast to star as the lead in the Star Wars streaming Disney streaming service show, The Mandalorian, which they are making instead of making that. Uh, what's his, what's my man's name with the helmet on? Because all oh, the Mandalorians wear the helmet. What's my man's Bob name? Bill Fett. Boba Fett. Thank you. They canceled the Boba Fett movie to making this instead for the streaming service. Uh, Pedro Pascal is gonna be starring in it. John Favreau wrote the series. Episodes will be directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, Rick Famuyiwa, who did Dope, Deborah Chow, and Taika Waititi.
4: Yeah, um, every Taika Waititi thing is is more molto bendy So. I, <laughs> So I'm I'm excited for Taika Waititi things,
0: right? So it sounds like I might be interested. I, I was like, this is like too deep in the Star Wars shit for me to be interested in. I saw Taika Waititi. <laughs> yeah.
4: that's how you get me, um, Brandon. You should so you should definitely watch his, his other movies, movie, um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna check him out.
0: I, really would, I already do, uh, and then finally in news. So Netflix just wants to have every sort of a goddamn show possible. Um, They are joining into the craze of the singing music competition shows by greenlighting Rhythm and Flow, which will be focused on trying to find the next breakout hip-hop star and will have, as their judges, Cardi B, Chance the Rapper, and T.I., It's being produced by John Legend and Jesse Koss, who did the new edition movie, and the Bobby Brown movie, and Jeff Gaspin. They'll be having auditions across the country, and there'll be 10, uh, 10, ep- 10 hour-long episodes that'll debut next fall of this show, Rhythm and Flow.
3: Wait a minute. This is, this is American Idol Rap Edition? Yes. Oh, Okay.
4: Um, oh boy. I mean, I mean, these shows are really popular, right? This singing competition shows, The Voice, American Idol. What, what's the other one, Brandon? America's um, Got Talent. Well, that's not a singing show, particularly. It's it's just a talent show. X Factor. X Factor is also just a okay. talent show. I'm I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, these shows are really popular and i mean shoot it would be nice to have a genre like a genre specific show of of this type i mean yeah. what if what if out of this you get the next big rap hip hop star i mean i'm the i'm, I'm way- more i'm more so clowning the
0: idea that it's on netflix
4: oh well there's that too it, because yeah. it because typically shows like that do well when they're on on air?
0: But when they're on live broadcast TV you can vote and shit. Exactly. While the program is on. Not you vote and next week, you know, which they'll probably do for this, which I guess if it works, it's fine. But you know, part of the appeal American Idols, I can text the motherfuckers while they're on the air and shit happens. <laughs> because I did
4: so, <laughs> so you're really relying on the fan base to be they're relying on them to be I was saying that I I I feel like as if they're they're relying a little too much on the fans like they're relying too much on the on the viewership right because you don't know you never know what you're going to get on Netflix for you know you might get a really good um fan following, following like some of the marvel shows or sometimes a show might just fall flat on its ass right right to get down yeah, even though it's a even though it's a good show, that doesn't mean it's a bad show. So man, to rely on that uh, for a, a show that requires so much audience interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. That that might be they might,
3: they might have something something to combat that that we don't know about because they have to know going in. Just like Brandon said, with the network edition, you could text or you could call and then you would you would know immediately after the show or live, you know, what was going on. They have to know on Netflix, you can't do that. So what, what is the alternative? I can't.
1: Right. You, you
3: think that they would set something up like that on Netflix, expecting the same participation as network, knowing that it's not live? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you think on Netflix that it, it can, can be live as well?
0: I don't know. Uh, Mm. Have they ever done a live they, program? I'm, I'm certain they might in have. Right? I think Hulu's done live shows. I don't know so, if Netflix has. So maybe, yeah.
3: maybe that's it then. Because it can't, like, like, like Brandon and Ali are saying, it can't work any other way with the same format, with right. the same format.
0: All right, let's go ahead to our main discussion. All right, so the uh, biggest movie that came out this weekend, of course, was Fantastic Beasts, which we're not reviewing today because. Fuck that Harry Potter shit. Uh,
4: <laughs> Wait, really? That's the really biggest movie that came out?
0: Yeah, it is. It made $200 something million dollars.
4: Wait a second, but you just said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What the, about, we're not reviewing
0: what a, that one. We're reviewing a different movie.
4: Yeah, what about um uh widows?
0: That's what we were reviewing. We were reviewing widows. Right. Well, wouldn't widows be big? Isn't It's though, no, it's not the biggest, it's big. Oh, okay, fine. I mean, it's rated R and stuff, for goodness sake. Uh, so, Widows is the latest movie directed by Steve McQueen, who, of course, first of all, it is certainly very different from 12 Years to Slave. First of all, it takes place during the modern day. There's no slavery, but not really. Um, <laughs> uh, it stars me, get the names of everybody in it because it's got like a really, really big cast who all did a really great job. Of course, it stars Viola Davis as the lead. And it also stars Michelle Rodriguez, who's behaving herself, apparently, because, you know, she's been a problem on Instagram and social media as of late. next. Yep. Elizabeth Debicki. White. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cynthia Erivo. Darker. Sir. Definitely POC. Colin Farrell. White. Brian Tyree Henry. Mm Mm-hmm. Black. Daniel Kaluuya. Super Black. What the hell's coming? Jackie Weaver. <laughs> Jackie Weaver.
3: Okay.
0: I, I'm she's not white. Sure. She's white? Okay. Carrie Coon.
4: <laughs> Please God, she's, she's white. She's yeah, white. Yeah, That's
0: always been funny because Carrie Coon is in anything, but yeah, she's white. Robert Duvall. Black. Robert Duvall is black. old and white. I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> and Liam, ne- Liam Neeson. Right. Oh, right. So the plot is basically that these four, these four, four women are the wives.
4: All got kidnapped, and Liam Neeson has to go find them and save them. Nope. <laughs> uh, this isn't
0: taking,
4: is this taking, isn't taking five. So,
0: <laughs> so these four, these four guys are in this basically this criminal, like this high powered criminal like organization, and they end up all dying during a bot's job, and so mm-hmm. they're widows. Have to take on the job, the next job that they had planned in order to raise enough money to get um, alderman candidate Jam- um, Jamal Manning, played by Brian Tyree Henry, off the back of their necks. Because the money they stole, the criminal stole was from him and he wants his money back or he's going to start um, killing folks and choking dogs. Uh, so that's what the movie is basically about. The choking dogs. OK. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he chose the dog in the movie. Like little fluffy kids, just a little got fluffy kids. up. I hope we it was a to, puppet. Are we allowed to do that on on uh, I'm movies now? Pretty sure it was a puppet that he choked. Because you're not allowed to uh, do that, like on a set.
4: Okay, so actually no, because in the movie, remember I told you I saw that that Pacific Island movie last week. Uh huh. They literally showed um, a pig being slaughtered.
0: Well, that's feast. that's a foreign film. They don't have the they don't have the American Humane Society in Australia.
4: Oh, so they don't care about animals in the other parts of the world?
0: I don't. They may have different rules. I, I, I can't <laughs> say that they don't. Okay. But basically, this movie basically it centers around Viola Davis' character of Veronica Rawlings, who's married to Liam Neeson, who's Harry Rawlings. Basically, you know, she's mourning over her husband, and then all of a sudden, fucking Brian Tyree Henry knocks at her door and talking about basically, "I want my two million dollars, and you got one month to get it, or I'm gonna come in here and start taking shit, wrecking shopping. I'm gonna choke your puppy." <laughs> <laughs> because him, because even though he's running for alderman, him and his brother, played by Dan Kaluuya, they're based, they're gangsters themselves. They got all this underground criminal shit going on, and so the movie is basically about Viola Davis getting Michelle Rodriguez and um what's the, and the white woman, what's her name again, Elizabeth Debicki together because the fourth woman drops out for reasons that will be spoilers. I had to ask, ask y'all to take your headphones off for a second. Um just me and Kendall talk for a second because I can talk about that shit. Um, and they end up hiring Cynthia Riva to be their driver and they plan basically this um this heist to get the money that you know like Val husband laid out in this notebook detail by detail. Mm-hmm. So they basically all they have to do is just execute it. But they had to basically, you know, get the gumption and sort of kind of team up together and try to figure out how to do this. Because, you know, they sort of turned a blind eye to their husband's criminal activities and just enjoyed the basically like the good parts of all of that. And now they're trying to get into this whole thing and they're stressing everybody out. by this is bossing everybody around. She's still playing Amanda Waller. And the white woman is not here for it. Cynthia Revo definitely ain't here for it. She was talking all kind of shit in her face. And... Do they pull off the heist? Does it work? You have to watch the movie to see. All right. So, uh, coffee last week. Have you seen this movie, Widows? She's on mute.
3: Yeah, I was I definitely this. on mute, just yakking away. I'm oh, sorry. Um, I've <laughs> I've seen the previews, and okay. I definitely wanted to see it because of uh, Viola Davis.
0: All right. So, I, if I can, I'm gonna ask you and Ollie to take your headphones off.
3: Okay. And I'm yeah, gonna talk to Ken
0: that- about it, and I'll, okay. I'll text y'all when, when it's safe to come back. Cause I got, I, I, I there's no way I can discuss it further without
3: spoilers? Basically, you'll type in in the in the box yeah. when it's safe to come back. Okay, I'm yeah. taking them off now. Okay, all right.
0: Thank you. All right. So, all right. So, Ken, you also saw the movie.
3: Yeah. Do you I saw remember
0: it. what the makeup of your theater was, ethnicity wise? Uh, my makeup was like half white, half black. Okay. Um, did the black people talk back to the screen during the picture? Actually,
2: no. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I think I mean I won't I won't say more than you got the like your general audience reactions, but it wasn't a lot. What was happening in your theater? Um, niggas were talking back. So <laughs> Oh really? Oh yes. Oh yes.
0: So the whole thing about so like, the movie is very, very well done, first of all. Like, Steve McQueen does a really great job of taking this story that could be sort of a pop boiler on its own and adding a whole lot of indie finesse to it. It mm-hmm. really pops on the screen in a special sort of kind of a way. It's well, written yeah. by um, the lady who wrote Gone Girl. She yeah. worked on it together, yes. um, Gillian Flynn. And also, it's based on a British TV show See, from the early 80s, which it, the plot is the same.
2: Yeah, it's the same plot. Yeah. I, and I remember Jillian Flynn, like, like, I forgot she wrote this. I was so happy because I've been enjoying most of the stuff she's been writing lately, which has all been like, basically like, like good versions of of Lifetime movies.
0: Right. Uh, this was definitely that. People, they, they, were, they were, you would thought they were in a Tyler Perry product, uh, movie watching this. So, the whole thing about Viola Davis trying to get everybody together to go on this, you know, um, mm-hmm. this thing. And the fourth widow played by Carrie Coon, she declines to come because she's got a young baby at home and everything. Mm-hmm. And oh, the
2: thing with the dog.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when they when they um when Dana Kalia and them come and kill their um her driver, the white guy She's mm-hmm. like, we need a new driver. So she tries to go talk to Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon's yeah. like, it's a bad time. I'm really busy. The baby's very fussy today. You know, I'm so sorry and everything. And Bob Davis is bringing around her dog the whole time. Like, basically, it's one of the few things she basically has to remember her family about because she's lost her husband now. And also, she lost her son, Marcus, like, 10 years ago. He was shot by the police, basically, and when he was pulled over. And their relationship
2: died after that. Yeah.
0: Uh, and like, there's a lot of flat. There's a lot of flashbacks intercepted into like the modern day thing, to where like it's almost like the ghost of Liam Neeson is still in the house with her, except that nigga ain't dead. <laughs> I knew he wasn't. I knew it. I didn't know. So <coughs> when she brought the dog over to Carrie Cool's house, the dog starts going crazy, and she's wondering why. She sees a flask <clears throat> on the table, and she's behind the door. But she she knows what's behind the door, but she can't open. She runs out the house immediately. And then Carrie Cook goes open the door, got that lead. And this is in there. <gasps> Ken, the movie was not silent the rest of the rest of the of the show. <laughs> oh really? People were like, "Oh hell, no. Nah. that nigga alive!" <laughs> <laughs> I saw it coming. I don't know why, but I saw it coming. So the highest part is very well done. Like you know, like it's really like good. Like um.
2: They it's score. like an update of dead presidents. Yeah.
0: There's not a lot of score in the movie. Hans Zimmer is the, did a little bit as there, and most of it is during the highest part. Like they go mm-hmm. in and try to break into. So they also find out that what, the place that they were going to break into is the house owned by Jack Mulligan, who is running against Jamal Manning for Alderman.
2: His played dad, by uh, a very great Robert Duvall.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no. Jack, the younger ones, played by. Um, oh. Colin, Colin Farrell, sorry. Colin Farrell, yeah, and Robert Duvall plays the father who was the alderman for decades before, played by a very good Robert Duvall, cussing up a fucking storm and calling everybody niggas.
2: Right. <laughs> I loved it, but you know what? One of my favorite scenes in this movie, and I'm sure it'll be talked about at length at different places, when Colin Farrell went from the wa- the white wa- black neighborhood to the white neighborhood in his car. Yes. And you just saw saw everything change.
0: Yeah, like he gets in the car, and they the shot is trained on the car. And he's in there talking shit about black people and he's wondering, wondering if Jamal Manning's dick is bigger than his, and if his wife's attracted to his brother, who's, mm. who's always waving at her every time she comes by. What well, his wife is what probably his campaign manager and wife, but like, and then he get out of the car in his neighborhood, which you know, at his house, which is the house that um that Lee Neeson, and um, Harry Rawling had except to um break into. The funny mm-hmm. thing is that Harry Rowling is alive and he had this whole scheme. He hooked up with Jack Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And part of his, you know, like whole thing, he's going to get away and, you know, leave the country and shit. So he had planned to rob him after all that shit happened, which is amazing to me how much of a piece of shit that he was. Mm-hmm. And so they go and they do the whole thing and. Uh, when they break in, uh, Robert Duvall's ass is still awake at night. He shoots um, the white woman in the tr- in the shoulder. And then so Michelle Rodriguez shoots him dead, just right there on the spot. And mm-hmm. they get out with the money. But the whole time, uh, Jamal Manning's brother, played by Dan Khalid, has been following them. And he's got a, a gun to sit through head, who's the driver. And he takes all this all their money and shit. People, people in the theater were like, Y'all better get that money. Y'all did all this. Y'all better get the money. And so they got in the car and they run him off the road. He kisses his head and dies. They get the money back mm-hmm. and everything. They drop off the um, um Elizabeth the, the at the hospital, because you know, to get take care of her gun wound. Violet Viola Davis drops off Cynthia Arrivo and takes the money back to the highway spot. And Lee Meeson's ass shows up movie theater oh hell no he came here (laughs) and so and they're like but girl you better get him you better get him you better get him because you know he goes to the money he bought it he's about to pull his gun out and shoot his wife but she's too fast for him she shoots him instead Mm -hmm. and so she drops it. everybody started applauding they applauded that they applauded when they when they shot Robert And when they got the money back from Dan Kaluuya, they were in the theater. They were alive. Kid. They were alive. Mm-hmm. And then they were mad though. When after Vi, was killed, Liam Neeson, she starts Rose over, starts crying, and she's like, "Don't you? Why'd you cry for him? For he tried to kill you." But I mean, I understand that she was in love with this man. She wanted to love. She wanted to have what she never actually had, which was this loving, happy marriage that she really wanted. That wasn't stricken by grief and by had this specter of criminality over and everything mm-hmm. that's what she's mourning not him yeah, yeah. specifically and you know that, and it ends with like the nice scene of you know like after that everybody's took the money and did with it you know nice thing Cynthia Erivo got her friend out of Hawk to Jack Mulligan Jack Mulligan won the fucking election because people at Cynthia votes were his father being killed uh, you know and um Viola Davis gives her part to this uh the library because she used to work at the school for the school teachers' union and mm-hmm. says, name it after my son Marcus, please. And you know, and she tries to like start a real friendship with um, Elizabeth Debicki in the very last scene. Dea Kaluuya is gonna be typecast as a villain from now on. Between this he and he is so Panther, good
2: as a villain in that movie. He's
0: so good. Like
2: this point where he told that boy the freestyle. Yeah, yeah. I knew I knew
0: what was gonna happen when he did it, but it's like the timing was so perfect. He's like, let me hear what you was doing in there. You was freestyling, and not coming up over here to like meet up with the rest of us gangsters. And so the camera's going around like it's actually like a musical or whatever. And he just pulls out the gun, pop, he tells the other one, run. He runs, he pops right there. I was like, mm-hmm. golly. When he threw the band the wheelchair out the wheelchair. And started stabbing him in the leg. I was like, oh, you can't even feel that. You paralyzed from the waist down. You can feel this one. <laughs> Catch it. And he was tapping the shoulder. I was like, mm. he is wild. <laughs> he is completely unhinged. And he told them to give the um the driver, and give him the two-piece extra spicy. <laughs> 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 Woo! I was like, yo, you are too good at this. <laughs> I'm just gonna be a thief, piece,
2: cause the dark-skinned man playing the villain. But I don't care; he's so good. <laughs> and it, it was good to me to see him playing a di- like something different, right? But yet he was like, uh, I, I mean, wow. And it, he was inc- he was incredible. Man. Yeah,
0: Brian Tyree Henry. Um, he played himself. Um, well, I feel like he no, he played. A uh, slightly evil or paper boy, because himself is very different from that character. okay, well he yeah.
2: plays the same character he plays in almost every movie <laughs> i mean i'm not go- i'm not I'm not down in the man he He has a certain personality and like or thing that he does when he acts in certain ways, and I see like most of the characters are different versions of the same character. Mm. Like I haven't seen him have really have a chance. Like I, I mean, I know he can stretch and do different things, but I think most people kind of want that right. out of him. But I just saw, like you said, he was a more menacing version of Paperboy. Yeah, he didn't have he doesn't have the heart that Paperboy has. Right. Um, same thing when I saw him in um, what was it uh, Hotel Artemis mm. earlier this year. It was like he was playing, you know, another version of Paperboy, but a stupid version of Paperboy. Oh. Uh.
0: But like I really appreciate like a lot, like a lot of the scenes with just him and Dan Kalia together, like trying to plot shit. Uh, the scene where they go to the church and who's that playing the preacher? Let me see if I can find it right quick. I'm on the page right now, mm-hmm. trying to come through. Because something said that Andre Holland was casting it, but like that's not Andre Holland. Wait, this is the show. I'm on the wrong page. This is the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> widows, Widows. Like, yeah, this, that's the TV show. That's why I can't find anything. They sent me to the 80s show uh, Widows 2018. Thank you. Um, and incidentally, depending on the twist, the same twist is in the original show. Mm. So if you were like, oh, if I watched the show, the movie wasn't going to like shock you the way that it, it uh, does us, you know, mm-hmm. crazy Americans. Let's see if I can find the reverend's name in the credits of the thing. And also, like, for awards stuff, because I know they're trying to put this up for awards. Cynthia Arrivo, Best Supporting Actress. They need to do that because she was awesome. She stood up I, to everybody. She held her own. I loved
2: her in this. I don't see Cynthia Arrivo I, I, I would give them it to Elizabeth Debicki. To
0: yeah, she was really good too, because you know, after she I lost mean, her husband, she had to go start was. trying when, to. Beat,
2: when, when Viola slapped her, and she slapped Viola back. I know <laughs> your theater went up at that point.
0: Yeah, they did. I know. We sp- like I was expecting like a like a Sydney Portier where she slapped her back again and knocked her ass over. That's what I thought mm-hmm. was going to happen, but nah, you know, she just she she just she broke down and sort of kind of lost her shell. John Michael Hall plays the Reverend. Maybe Andre Hall was going to play it and didn't get, and get mm-hmm. it, but John Michael Hall played Hill. John Michael Hill. Mm-hmm. Who's like from TV? Basically, he's he's a really good job. But I was like, he looked familiar. I couldn't place him. But that's who he is. But yeah, like and how she has to try her best to basically sleep with rich men to make her money. Mm-hmm. Just you know the shame of all of that. Michelle Rodriguez going around trying to find out like. Girl, you a sloppy um um gangster going out to just to, just, to uh, just like like corporate places of business. People's houses
2: trying to figure out who made this building. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, I didn't. I really didn't like the, her plot in the movie. I thought it was the weakest story of all the characters. I could see that. Like, and I I felt like I. Got, I mean, I felt like it really didn't go anywhere. I thought it was silly that she didn't know what her husband was doing with her money. Um, it you know, the whole thing about her kissing that one got the architect or whatever, yeah. I'd agree that, it, it it just didn't make sense. Uh, I get you know, um, I don't know, it just it, it just didn't do anything for me, right? Um, Colin Farrell was great, um, it was really good. Viola, I think Viola was great. Um, yeah, she was really good. She got a snot bubble, you know, that means that she gets snot bubble, she gets nominated, and I, I love it when she can be more vulnerable character, yeah. Yeah, no, she showed her strength and vulnerability. Yes, yeah, she game.
0: did. It's particularly in that scene about when she got where the whole slapping thing. Like she goes from one extreme to the other in the same scene.
2: Right. Like,
1: whoo,
2: whoo. but she thought she was gonna slap the shit out of Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> she thought.
0: Um, I also appreciate how they feed us the um, the flashbacks one at a time, mm-hmm. as opposed to in big chunks. And that's part of the mystery as well as a part of, like what the what their life is really like because they first make you think that her and Liam Neeson had this perfect happy marriage, then they start yeah. showing you piece by piece that that's more her imagination than anything else. Yeah. So, what would you give it as a letter grade? I would give it an A minus.
2: I feel like I feel like an A minus is correct. Yeah, I would do the same. And I, you know, what I think is interesting, but it makes sense that. He didn't do a a a film that was too bound by race in its plot, right because it's like that's something that all the other black directors coming this year are doing for the Oscars, yeah, or you're getting or you're getting a lot of race baked films right uh so it was good that he kind of he's this
0: year he's kind of set a apart of it, yeah, widows definitely touches on race a lot, but mm-hmm. it's not this 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 film could have starred. Any ethnicities or characters, and just slight alterations to the plot, yeah, would still be the same movie. And
2: I, I really love that thing about how they were doing like the business, like basically when they were doing the businesses in the hood is it was an extortion racket.
0: Yeah, basically. Like I thought that was neat. Yeah, set up on um, black women with their own businesses, but loaned the money and demand payback at interest that they can't afford. Mm-hmm. That's some crooked shit. All right, I'm gonna bring everybody else back. We can talk about Stanley.
3: Can I come back and play with you guys?
0: Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> oh, I
3: couldn't hear what you. I could not hear what you were saying, but I could hear the laughter through the headphones. and them <laughs> on my desk, and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about, but there's a lot of laughter, so that's good.
0: Basically, this is a movie to go see um, with a black audience. Is where I basically. Oh, okay, like, that. I
3: live in Harlem, so that'll work.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, hopefully, Ali will come back too. I don't know where he is. Probably making oxtail. Um, But we'll go into the next story, which is sad, much sadder. But so we are talking about now the passing of Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stan Lee uh, passed away at the age of ninety-five last week after a fairly not long, but a fairly pronounced period of illness and sort of like bad health and bad luck because people, people who were around him taking care of him. And you know, there was a whole lot of stories we report about them stealing money and stuff. And, you know, oh, wow. all that sort of that. like like bad faith sort of things going on there. Um, I mean, everybody knows, of course, Stanley is sort of kind of more or less the key architect of, like, the Marvel Comics universe. He created a good number of the most popular characters in the Marvel universe mm-hmm. and was the, first the head writer and then the editor-in-chief. Well, he was the editor-in-chief for decades back, actually. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was the editor-in-chief way back when they were timely comics. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about his career, and sort of kind of Sorry. about our relationship to him. Because you can go on, like, Wikipedia and watch a whole bunch of documents. Like he's Stanley. Like people basically know more or less like his life story. We'll touch on it a little bit though, right now. Mm. So basically, like, first of all, Stanley is, of course, a pen name that he changed it legally to later. He was born Stanley Lieber. You know, changed it to Stanley because, you know, anti-Semitism, he is Jewish. Uh he got a job at the age of 19 working as an assistant at Timely Comics because I believe his sister was married to Marvin Goodman? I believe that's correct. Let me double check. Somebody in the family is married to Marvin Goodman. Okay. Uh, of course. Yeah, his them. cousin was married to Marvin Goodman. Not his sister, his cousin. His cousin, his cousin, Gene. Um, and so Marvin Goodman was running Time and at the time, hired Stanley to be an assistant. And by 1941, he became the editor-in-chief because the previous editor-in-chief was Joe Simon who, of course, created the popular character Captain America for Timely Comics, and then him and Jack Kirby quit. And Stanley took over as ed- um, editor-in-chief and basically had that position until 1972. And so he oversaw, like, three different eras of what eventually became Marvel Comics. He oversaw the Timely era where you had Captain America and the Sub-Mariner and the original Human Torch and that sort of kind of n- golden age of comics, you know, The bright colors Patriotic heroes A little bit of racism Here and there You know That kind of stuff Uh, He oversaw The 1950s Version of what Was then called Atlas comics Where they Downplayed The superheroes And focused more on Western And funny animal And romance comics Instead Like one of their Popular titles back then During this era Was My Friend Irma Which Stanley wrote And Dan DiCarlo Later, famous for redesigning all the Archie characters, was the artist on? Like Stanley and Dan Nicole did a whole lot of stuff together, including they did that. They did a comic strip called um, God. What's this fucking name? It just went on my head. He's the mailman. Um, uh, Willie, Willie something, Willie Lumpkin, Willie Lumpkin, uh-huh. who later became a character in the Fantastic Four comics in the sixties. And so, like, there was a whole lot of, you know, that sort of era. And then in 1961, Stanley was basically burned out from writing comics All the rest of his friends were writing, quote-unquote, real literature. And so he was going to leave. His wife, Joan, who he married in 1947 and stayed married to until she died last year, 2017, said, well, why don't you just write what you want to since you want to quit anyway? And they can just fire you. You can do something else. So he wrote The Fantastic Four because mm-hmm. Marvin Goodman wanted a comic book about a superhero team because the Justice League had just become popular the year prior, 1960. But Fantastic Four was different in that the Fantastic Four were all characters who had serious psychological issues in addition to powers. You know, Mr. Fantastic had this um, self-important sort of, you no, know, he was full of himself all the time and a very terrible leader. <laughs> Sue Storm was, you know, like, more or less, like, originally she was sort of kind of, like, just, like, deferred deferred to um, Reed and everything like that. And later on, they made her a lot stronger of a character as the comics progressed. The Human Torch was hot-headed to put a hat on a hat. You know, very impulsive and very, 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 like, you know, just, like, hard to control and the thing had all the self-loathing things because he was he considered himself ugly and felt like he was a monster and nobody would ever love him and the only girlfriend he he really had was blind alicia masters and he basically stanley basically changed the way that superhero comics were written by doing the fantastic four because Mm -hmm. before that every superhero basically was a perfect character like perfectly well-behaved, more or less. You know, Superman was well-behaved. Batman, well-behaved. Captain America, well-behaved. Captain Marvel, well-behaved. Then you had these misfits who came along. And then the next year, at 62, you had Spider-Man, who was a teenager who went through all the teenage stuff of, you know, the dating, the insecurity. I'm a nerd. Nobody likes me. I'm not popular. They kick sand in my face. But at night, I'm fucking Spider-Man. But I, did, I let my Uncle Ben die, so now I have all this self-regret with great power comes great responsibility. What he was doing is he was finding the humanity in the superhuman, larger-than-life characters, which made them relate far more to modern audiences. And even though I'm sure, he, I don't think he was thinking of it at the time, made them easier to adapt into other media. hmm Because the whole struggle with Superman was that, you know, he's perfect, and dirtying him, dirtying him up makes people sort of kind of balk. You know, look at Man of Steel. It's a perfect example. Uh, But you have something like Spider-Man. Spider-Man has his own inherent insecurities and problems. And so it's easy to drop him into any story and have him naturally react and find out what those reactions will be. There's a lot more you can write there. The Thing, you can do, you know, and they have. And like that case worked with material with The Thing or Reed Richards and all these characters, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Stanley went on to co-create Most of these early characters were created With either Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko Jack Kirby helped co-create the Fantastic Four Steve Ditko helped co-create Spider-Man So with Kirby he also created the Hulk, Incredible Hulk Which if you've never read, read them The early Incredible Hulk comics And the early Fantastic Four comics Great, great, great stuff Well written, well drawn Very unique even now to this day, the uh, then you have the mighty Thor, you have the invincible Iron Man, you have the original X Men, you know Cyclops, Jean Grey, well Marvel Girl, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Ice Man, Beast, and Angel, and Professor X and Magneto. Um, uh, Stanley and Bill Everett created Daredevil, the Man Without Fear. Stanley and Steve co created Doctor Strange with all this crazy psychedelic um, stuff going on. Stan Lee also developed what was called the Marvel Method, which basically, like, before he came along, you wrote a comic book like it was a script, basically. You gave it to the artist, they drew it, and that was that. All the dialogue and everything was already laid out. Stan Lee instead made the artist a key part of the storytelling process. He basically would write a one-page treatment for—well, I guess a one-paragraph treatment for each page of the comic— the artist would mm-hmm. draw it, break it down as he saw fit to tell the story, then give it back to Stan Lee where he would write the word balloons for it after the fact. So certain things that were already illustrated, he didn't need to say in words. And that's more or less how a lot of, not every, a lot of comic book artists write their the comics. To this day. I know Jerry Orway uses Stan Lee's Marvel
2: method, but yeah. Jeff
0: Johns doesn't.
2: Yeah, a lot of, well, I mean, because that, when they did that, that was because Stan was writing almost every other freaking comic at Marvel. Yeah. He just didn't have time to do the full things. And like you're saying, it was I mean, I don't know if that's true or which one's true, but by doing that, he did make art more part part of the process. And that's why a lot of the Marvel became more known for its art. Yeah. Um, and more than Mike Sikowski on Justice League, which uh Justice League of America, which I don't know. I heard he was not never that great of an artist. Um, I mean, he was good, but he was more like a he had workmanship quality. Mm. Um, it, but most most like in Marvel, they really don't do that right now, because uh, even they I think they work. They try to work more hand in hand together. Um, you go through different periods where books are artist driven, where some are writer driven and a, a lot of times some are editorially driven. Yeah, as um, far as things go. Uh, but I think it's more of a collaborative process now, I would say, working with, like, you know, the artist and the writer know how to trust each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, now that's, that's any creative partnership, and that's asking a lot, of course, because how, how many times do you have that kind of a perfect creative relationship with people you're working with? That's like, you know, rare, every, rare yeah. But Stan um, Lee
0: but, and Jack Kirby didn't have that. They argued a lot, and then Kirby quit in 1970, went to D.C., and well, it, yeah. yeah, and there's a the whole thing about him making fun of Stan Lee as the funky Flashman in the, in the Mr. Miracle comics and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff.
2: And yeah, yeah, like, but I think also their bickering and not having the perfect relationship also made probably the comics better too. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want somebody who you disagree all the time. That means you're not really pushing anything. Yeah, you can very easily
0: imagine sort of kind of Lee and Kirby as. Uh, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. Mm-hmm. No wonder who was Ben. I mean, I imagine I mean, that Kirby was Ben and and um, Leavis Richards only because Richards was like the quote-unquote self-appointed leader and so full of himself. And Ben was the one who thought he yeah. should have everything that Reed had, including Reed's
2: wife. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, also I mean... And in a way, like Lee said, he based, most of those characters, He wrote, they were like different versions of him. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Mr. Fantastic was his big ego. So was Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh, an older version of him with an ego. Spider-Man was him as a kid. So, that, I mean, he was basing these characters on real people. And that's how he was able to assign them real problems. Right. You know, he brought this more so operatic, so operatic, you know, element to comics, uh, you know, and grounded them. Um, in a way. He and the only person so. and the only person that really pushed him even further after he left was Chris Claremont.
0: Yeah. Which is like, you know, like he did all the X-Men stuff and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I mean the thing is that after Stan Lee revamped Marvel Comics in the 60s, to be quite frank, Marvel's been on top ever since then. If yep. not in if not in sales, certainly in sort of kind of the the cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Like we have Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, who are icons because they've been around so long. But if you look at comic book sales records from like this nineteen sixty, was it nineteen seventy four? Because in the sixties, the late sixties, I found out to my shock, the top selling comic book in America, Archie. That goddamn (laughs) Sugar Sugar did did some work for them, Um, (laughs) but yeah, from like this like early seventies forward, I mean, Marvel pretty much dominated. You know, maybe not every year, maybe not every month, but overall it was Marvel because they made these characters who not just children could read, but young, but like young adults and adults. You know, they brought in elements of the counterculture of like the teen culture. They brought in Ali is still not back. He just texted me and asked if it's safe to come back. Let me get me tell him yes. But yeah. They brought in Black Panther in 66 into the Fantastic fantastic Four comics. Black Panther's the first, like, we talked about he's the first Black character to appear in a mainstream superhero comic who wasn't a racist caricature. hmm And even though we might argue about the problematicness of the original Black Panther comic stories, you know, they at least started from a better place than, you know, like Captain America's um, white, Whitewash and all that kind of stuff did. Um... Uh, we, you know, like, what else sorry, what I want to say about Stan Lee's early stuff? You know, like, the concepts of the Fantastic Four that he developed, you know, the whole Galactus, Doctor Doom, Silver Surfer, all these things that he was just coming up, up with at the top of his dome. Like, you know, they've developed, you know, into million and billion dollar franchises now, like, across all mm-hmm. sorts of media and everything. And these are recognizable now, like, institutions of comic books. That, you know, everybody's trying to find a new version of. They've basically replaced Mm -hmm. the DC characters in that regard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I, after, of course, he stepped down as editor-in-chief in 72 and Roy Thomas took over instead. You know, Stanley still stuck around as, you know, like, I think like a... Sometimes official, sometimes unofficial, president and publisher of Marvel Comics. he was publisher until 89, from 72 to 89, and replacing uh, Marvin Goodman. And But in 1980, he went to California to work on the cartoon shows, uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends and all that stuff at Marvel Productions, which used to be the, the Patty Freeling Company who made the Pink Panther. And then you know, they took it over, basically, and they made... They made uh Spider-Man His Amazing Friends, the original, I think original Incredible Hulk cartoon, and Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they also worked on the Incredible Hulk live-action show, and the Spider-Man live action show from the 70s. And that's when Stan Lee started making his cameos and stuff. You know, you move forward into like the 80s and 90s. He was still sporadically writing stuff here and there, but more so he became a, like a figurehead more than anything else at Marvel as he got older. Yeah. and of course, most people know him now for his cameo appearances in the Marvel Studios and all the Marvel's movies, most of them because he's in the spider-man movies he's in Deadpool movies he's even in, he's in Venom so you know mm-hmm. like and I know they have other ones films that they can just you know grease your man to these newer ones <laughs> so, so that'll be fine, bless you mm-hmm. um but yeah, so. He's lived this very long, very productive, very, you know, rich life of creativity. He, like, Al Sharpton said on his passing that Stan Lee has changed America more than Congress has. Mm-hmm. I had to sit and think about it for a second, but he may have. All right. I was like, wait, wait, hold on. That's like, that's like a hot take. I'm like, wait, Possibly. Cause he changed the way I think you saw heroes—that they didn't have to be perfect; they just had to have the best intentions of trying to do good.
2: How do you feel about it? I feel like I've so. I mean, I, I kind of <laughs> echo your statements. I don't. It, it what really surprised me about Stan Lee's death was how many people outside of comics were really coming out to you know mourn this man. It, you know, made me glad and made me happy because, I mean, you know, I didn't realize how much people adored him, even those people who don't look at comics regularly, you know? Right. And, you know, even like, uh, you know, a friend of mine, he was talking about, you know, Stan Lee's work helped save my childhood. I can see
0: that because, like, if you were somebody like Peter Parker where you mm-hmm. don't relate to people. Yeah. And Peter Parker doesn't either. He's somebody you can look forward to. Like, it's like you can see yourself in this guy who might be a nerd or whatever or unpopular, but he still has a purpose in this world and still does his best to try to do good and help people. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's really because people, because like the golden age heroes are pretty much. They're like we said before, they're inobtainable ideals. Nobody's that good. And that's why they had to be revamped so much when they try to bring them back into modern comics. Uh, except for like, Namor was always a piece of shit. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. one of the few who they could bring over to modern stuff. And they brought him back in Fantastic Four number four. Is it a three or a four? I think it's four. So I, I definitely read it. I think it's four. Um... And he, you know, because he was always sort of kind of like total line between. he's the original anti-hero of comic books, I think, of superhero comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the rest of them, like I said before, they're just, you know, they're just too good to relate to if you are trying to relate to them rather than just enjoy the stories or relate to these side characters. So that's why there is a Lois Lane and a Jimmy Olsen in those comic books. Because Superman is not the one you're supposed to relate to. It's supposed to be Jimmy Olsen or Lois Lane. But with uh-huh. Stan Lee, you could relate directly to his characters because they had issues. Iron Man was a goddamn alcoholic. Well, that was later. That was a little bit later. Spider-Man, though, he Spider-Man had a friend who was on drugs and they had to publish that story arc without the seal of approval from the uh, comic book, Comics Code Authority because mm. Stan Lee believed very strongly in that story and how important it was to tell it. Yeah. Yeah, um, Ali, Coffee Light, and Sweet. Y'all have anything else y'all wanted to add about Stanley?
3: Um, I would say I I wasn't a huge comic book fan, but I was aware of them growing up. Um, I didn't know much about you know who were the creators of comics. I just knew what I liked. Mm-hmm. But I will say, and I'm in you know confession time. You know when Black Panther came back on the scene, and there was this big resurgence of interest in comics, especially this character, Black Panther, I began to learn more about him, um, some through this podcast and others, and uh, I really understood that what he created was something truly um, world-changing, because back when he came on the scene, certain things were not, commonly thought and it's becoming more commonplace now and i'll always be grateful to him for that mm-hmm. yeah all right and yeah, Ali. for me I'm i um i
4: wasn't i didn't grow up with comic books either i was a a kid who just watched a lot of the, the cartoons on tv so one of the the um first sort of things that i watched was um and I remember um, from Stanley, or from the mind of Stanley, and eventually ended up on you know on screen was you know the original Spider Man, Spider Man, the animated um, TV show from the nineties. Um, yeah, I was gonna say it's not the original. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. You know that's not, yeah. That's definitely not the original. But the the nineties animated Spider Man um, show that was a big deal, and then you know it, yeah, it's spider-man um, it, it it's one of those shows where I just felt very close to it it just felt and then when I when I read um you know or uh, well, not really read but when I researched and I did I did have friends who who used to read the comics or whatever uh, I realized quickly that uh, the spider-man that was in the the Peter Parker that was in the animated 90s um, show he's Correct if I'm wrong, but he seems a lot older than this Spider-Man from the comic books really, that my friends um, would show me. I'm just like that. Doesn't look like a kid. The one in this '90s show, he looks like someone who was already in
0: college. Well, Spider-Man started out as 15 years old, and they aged yeah. him over the years. He went to college. Amen. He got you know he he got a you know a full time job at the Daily Bugle as the photographer. He, you know, he he became grown. He married Mary Jane, and then they reversed all that. But I mean the Spider-Man who's currently in Marvel the Marvel Universe, he's gotta be like though, pushing
4: is dirty. He, is he in this in the 90s show? Is he supposed to be in college? I don't remember. I didn't Because he's working with show. Doc Connors already in the 90s show.
0: I'm gonna look it up. So I, I didn't that watch you- that show. Like I have this thing about like 90s, like when I was, even when I was growing up about like those, those the Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four cartoon from then, and I I watched the X Men one, but like the others, I was all sort of kind of I prefer the old, especially the old Fantastic Four cartoon. Show the one that Hanna Barbera did in nineteen sixty seven. That's my shit because all they did was take Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's comic books and just move them around a little bit and add voice work. <laughs> That's yeah. that. I, so it was that, and also my mom bought me a bunch of Marvel comics. Those were my first comics I read. Really, like, um, before I started buying my own, which most of those were DC because of Superman and Shazam. But the first ones I ever, first real comics I ever got when I was, like, probably eight or nine were all a collection of Marvel stuff, including a reprint of The Incredible Hulk, number one, which is still one of my favorite comic books that I've ever read. Yeah.
4: And, I mean, throughout the years, you know... um... I would soon learn that there are more, there's, they're more than just Spider-Man and X-Men. There's a bunch of other stuff and they're all, the, you know, um, production company and, and then soon later it would spun soon off into a, so, you know, a studio for making live action movies and whatnot. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, uh, even without me actually knowing at the time that, you know, this came from the mind of Stan Lee know, eventually I learned about it. And, you know, it, i can definitely say that yeah these the way i think about heroes and whatnot it's uh, uh, it's probably because of of stan lee I, I feel like as if spider-man i was listening to a podcast before this sh- before we started the show where the guys were talking about how spider-man is the quintessential kind of um hero for a lot of young people and for and not just you know white young people for uh, uh, a very diverse young know, um, mm-hmm. because he was one of those um, superheroes who had a mask on and yeah. because he has a mask on for his costume, you can insert yourself into, you know, that role. You you don't need to be exactly Peter Parker. You can, you, you don't need to be Peter Parker, but you can definitely be Spider-Man and, right. you know, you, the paper media and the, the, uh, uh, visual media, the TV media has definitely taken advantage of that, because now we have th- things like Miles Morales, Spider you Gwen. Know, we have Spider Gwen, you know, uh, you know, you have, you even have um, Spider Pig. <laughs> yeah. So
0: the the cartoon show, the '90s one, started with him as in college. He was in college in that show.
4: Okay, so he's in college already.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I was actually reminded when you said that you know anybody can be Spider Man under <laughs> a mask remember the 1992 Halloween episode of Family Matters where Waddle takes Little Richie trick-or-treating? He's wearing a Spider-Man costume. He comes home with an Asian kid in a Spider-Man costume, which they don't find out of course that they take the mask off.
4: Yeah, see? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> for example, and so, so, so basically that was a perfect gateway comic book for a lot of people. And also the fact that so many of his characters could be linked back to something that is relatable, right? So, right. Fantastic Four would be family, nuclear family, right? Right. Um, or because, even an adopted family, right? This is true, and well, th- I think the idea behind it is is family, which is right. pretty much what the terrible recent Fantastic Four movie was trying to. I to, I, I would even look at that. I I y'all told yeah. me how terrible
0: it was. I was like. I'll watch yeah, it one day I, when I had nothing to But I still understand different.
4: what it was trying to go for because yeah. that, because at the heart of it, Fantastic Four is about family. It's about the dysfunctional family. The people that we care about. Right. Right? Uh, Spider-Man, he, he's not, he's, it's so cool that he's not, he's not super strong. He can't fly, shoot lasers and a lot of the jazz, you know, he's not, he's not, uh you know, a caped crusader by night reveling in the dark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's just a he's just a goofy a ass kid. kid who tell who cracks <laughs> jokes when he fights bad
0: guys. That yeah. was always the appeal to me of Spider-Man. He would punch somebody and tell a joke. He would get punched and tell a joke. He just couldn't stop telling fucking jokes. That's what
4: made him interesting me, because he clearly enjoyed what he was doing. Yeah, and it was he it looked so much he looked I remember that one thing I, I would really say too is that, like Lebron like said, Peter Parker, he felt so. When I was watching it on TV, he it felt so freeing to see him, you know, um, zip between all of the buildings and the the little in in his head commentary that he just can't help. Right. You know, <laughs> it just felt so. I don't know. Like he was having he was having the most fun. When he was in this suit, like when he was on the suit, you know, his life was this kind of, you know, crazy, miserable kind of thing where it's like, he's just not the money for stuff. He doesn't, the girl, he's trying to get the girl, but you know, she doesn't, sometimes she doesn't notice him or he doesn't know how to talk to her. He has the, the bully in high school or the, the, um, the coworkers, you know, or the, the manager who's, who's a jerk or whatever. But then he puts on that suit and it doesn't just transform him into a crime fighter it transforms him into who he really wants to be and who you know you as a viewer want to feel like when you when you sort of escape into escape away from all those things that make your life monotonous or or annoying so yeah i i related to that
0: i did have a couple of nice challenges that were related to stanley First of them um, involves our friend Arm Hammer.
3: Yeah, what happened with that? People were losing it.
0: Yeah, so the Uh day after Stan Lee died, Armie Hammer, who you guys may know for starring in the flop of Lone Ranger and starring in the not so much of a flop, Call Me By By Your Name, and also
2: starring in the flop, Earth of a Nation. uh, (laughs) Not the
0: original one, the one that Nate Parker did.
2: Yeah, you Played better to call everything he everything he other thing he does a
3: failure.
0: Yep, I mean the man's boss is poison except for until he did call me by your name. I did not know what was going on with him. Uh, he felt like he has a criticism for, for celebrities who were posting their Stanley tributes. So most Stanley tributes people are posting on like Instagram and Facebook where people are of them meeting Stanley. Like, especially the people who starred in the Marvel Studios films, playing characters that Stanley created, like Mark Ruffalo. But well, Mark Ruffalo didn't do it. Um, you know, people like, um, I, I see one of Hugh Jackman, but, but Stanley didn't create his character, of course. But you know what I'm saying. Like, all like the people who's like, uh, Scarlett Johansson and all of them, all took the pictures they had of Stanley. And then regular people did, too. And celebrities who aren't. Did Stanley create created who? He might have created a fan draw Because Zach, Zachary Levi posted a picture of himself with Stanley As well A fan draw I Of so. Zachary Levi's character The or War 3 in the Thor comics Did Stanley create them Probably yeah uh, Yeah And so Army Hammer had an issue With people taking their Stanley selfies And putting them on Instagram um, doing, And Tom Hardy didn't want to What did well. you say you know, Tom Hardy didn't play a character that Stanley created. He didn't create Venom, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but you know, he didn't create Venom. But he was still a publisher at the time, so that's fine. But yeah, so Army Hammer says, "So touched on Twitter. So touched by all the celebrities posting pictures of, of themselves with Stan Lee. No better way to commemorate an absolute legend than putting up a picture of yourself." And so this started a Twitter firestorm because. A lot of people's way of mourning somebody that they've lost, especially somebody close, is you know, this is how I remember you. When I the time that we hung out together, you know, if your mother or your father passes away, most people put up a picture of them with their mom or their dad. That's what usually happens. But I'm guessing the things that uh Army Hammer saying, these people didn't know him well, didn't know him well enough to be putting up pictures of him, most of them kind of did though, because he worked. But did, with these he say, these did he name teams. names he specifically? He co starred with them. You know, I he had didn't see and and so, he, did. He did little cameos and stuff. He didn't name names specifically. He was speaking, you know, like he was subtweeting. Uh, the only person he named was that somebody po- uh, showed him mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo's tweet, which is a picture of Stan Lee and the Hulk, like a statue of the Hulk, a big statue of the Hulk. And Army Hammer was like, oh, that's better. That's fine. Cause before he was saying that if everybody's idea of mourning uh, somebody's post a selfie, then we need a cultural revamp across the board, which is uh-huh. the widest thing that he widest man widest most male thing he could ever have said about any of this. I just feel like he was doing way too much. Like I understand what he was trying to say. But number one, I don't agree with it, even in a casual sense. Maybe people are going, people you can't police how people own more. It's not like they put a picture of themselves and said me, me, me. Is they said put a picture of them with somebody they cared about. not about that person they cared about. This happened to be somebody who was super famous, who was Stan Lee, and a lot of people who met him at Comic Cons and stuff and everything like that. Like we're talking about for the show, like we've been past the Stan Lee booth a couple times at Comic Con. We didn't get in because you had to stand alone a long goddamn line to meet to meet him. Cause he's, you know, Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, that was the favorite, their favorite one of their best moments they ever had when they met the man who created the characters who made them happy and gave them joy and meet and like a little bit of meaning in life. I don't think putting a picture of you with that man is such a detrimental thing to do unless you put up a set of like, um, give me money for my Venmo or whatever like that. That's different. But you know. I just think he's doing too much and trying to, and the funny thing is he's trying to claim they're inserting themselves in the Stanley's narrative. He's inserting himself into the narrative by doing this in this way. How do y'all feel about it?
2: Uh, I, I see what he's saying, but I think Arnie, Arnie should have just kept his mouth shut. Like, let people celebrate somebody else's life the way they want to. It, you know what I'm saying? Like that, yeah. that's, not your, that's not your place to kind of uh, regulate who, how you mourn somebody or blah, 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 blah. If I took a pic, if family, if somebody dies, I don't, if, you know, and I cared about them, no matter how close our relationship is, I'm going to, I'm going to show a picture with them because I enjoyed them. This is how I celebrated them. Like, I mean, I get it, but that, you know, keep that judgment to yourself. Don't say that out loud. It just seems like you wanted some attention.
0: Or at least wait a God dang a month.
2: You didn't wait 24 good hours. I don't know. He could have kept that to himself at any
4: time.
3: I think um, I agree with Ken. I think this is the culture that we live in. Um, there's an instant response. Um, and it wasn't always like this, but because of social media, when something really uh, significant happens, it's almost like everyone's emotions and everyone's attention is magnified around that particular event. For just a few hours or maybe days. Um, And like the platform is wide open and available to anyone. But if you're a celebrity, you know, your reach is further and deeper. And uh, sometimes I think that celebrities are humans as well, They, they have human emotions as well, but they forget that it becomes magnified in situations like this. So, what would normally be just a simple commentary. Because the emotions are so raw, and now as a celebrity, you have a larger platform. Everything is magnified, and it was just—it mm-hmm. just like no, just just no, don't do it. I mm-hmm. think he learned a lesson. I I don't know this man. I don't know this actor, but I think he 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 learned a lesson. Like, hmm, my voice carries a lot of weight, and like Ken said, maybe you know, attention seeking is always something as well. But I think in this particular case, it was like, you know, you have to be careful on social media because this ripple effect can blow back, can blow back on you. And because this is also his livelihood as well. He's not like a just a regular person making a comment. This could possibly affect future roles or future opportunities. It's crazy, but it's real.
4: Yeah mm-hmm. Ali. I just this screams, I don't have a selfie with, with Stanley. (laughs) I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what it felt like to me. Say, I don't have a selfie. I can't honor him the same way you all are honoring him. Stop waving it in my face. That's, that's what it sounds like. Right. And it's like, dude, just, just chill. There's like, Ken said, like, if I, if someone I know and, and really appreciate passed away and I have the option of have of a picture of them by themselves and a picture of me with them. Of course, I'm gonna take a uh, post the picture of me with them with a caption about you know what that picture represented to me at the time when I took it or whatever I want to talk about that uh, about that person. But, like it just makes sense. That's there's nothing even if there was an ulterior motive to it, I can literally justify that with this very innocent um, sort of reason, which is I took a picture of this person. I appreciate this person and I want to talk about a little bit about how that person made me feel. I mean, that's it. If, if, if I did have something else to say about it, if I wanted to be showboating, if I wanted to, you know, to, to show off, Hey, it's okay that's fine but you can't but his reasoning it does doesn't make any sense you, you, if you you have to some other evidence to prove that i'm i'm showboating
0: right and then the other person of course bill Mayer who felt like he not he only needed to bash stan lee but also the entire culture of comic books writ large um he had, apparently has a blog that is ho- posted on um, his um, website for his show, Real Time with Bill Maher. And the post is titled Adulting. He posted it the night Stanley died. And he basically used it to basically talk shit up on uh, people who were sad and weekly pulled out. I read the whole thing and you know, then I went through things, but I don't want to put y'all through that. Uh, here are some selections from it. Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important. The guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died, and America is in mourning. Deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Someone on Reddit posted, I'm so incredibly grateful that I lived in a world that included Stan Lee. Personally, I'm grateful I lived in a world that included oxygen and trees, but to each his own. Now I have nothing against comic books. I read them now and then when I was a kid and I was all out of Hardy Boys. But the assumption everyone had back then, both the adults and the kids, was that comic books were for kids. And when you grew up, you moved on to big boy books with the pictures, without the pictures. Basically, he's saying that since then, people have just, adults have, quote unquote, decided comic books, people didn't have to give up kids stuff and that, and they're pretending comic books are actually sophisticated literature. And basically all this, like, comic book shaming, like, Arrested Development stuff that, kind of stuff that was kind of unpopular 15 years ago, but Bill Mayer is old and stupid, and so of course he would say some dumb mess like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have anything nice to say about this. I don't even have anything productive to say about this. I try my best not, not to, not to say anything that would get me in trouble as a matter of fact about this.
2: No.
4: Cause. Okay. Well, I don't have yeah. that advice. So. This is, <laughs> um, right. Um, this is, this is, this is, this is just for, um, for clicks, basically. He wrote that so that way you would click on it, you'd have to read it, and then you'd be pissed, you'd respond. And so Bill Mayer's, um his name stays- He's trolling. In, in, I that's Yeah, disc- okay. in, he's, so his name stays relevant somehow, right? So he, he's not, he can't say anything nice about this because everybody's saying something nice about it. So how can you make, how can you be relevant in, in with this news? Well, you have to be contrary, right? I mean that's it. At the same time as
0: disrespecting a man who j- literally just died, he's also disrespecting in a, like the vast majority of an industry that, you know, is not only connected to the entertainment industry that em- also employs him and helps keep him and his show on the air because all that shit is tied together. Um, it also, it just looks ignorant and out of place because it's literally like, you can point to shit like Sam, Neil Gaiman*, Sandman, which I'll get to Neil Gaiman in a second, and, you know, Watchmen, and all that kind of stuff, non-superhero comics. You know, there's historical comics. You know, Kyle Baker did a Nat Turner comic. I have that, and I have, you know, some of these, like, comic books about ancient Greece and stuff like that. You know, there's all sorts of different stories you can tell in comic book form just because there's pictures attached to it, it doesn't mean that it's for children or it's not sophisticated that's like that's like the most basic dumb thing like i saw an issue of archie number 103 when i was a kid and so everything comic book has to be archie 103 and that's not a shot at archie that's you know i'm trying to um, like give an example of a comic book that was sort of kind of just you know considered for kids and simple and sort of kind of based like basic in this outlay at the time. Read really, Archie now is is different than that. So, <laughs> oh, I just it, just, it just made me mad. And I think it's probably what he wanted to do because he wanted somebody to, like, call him names so that he could run around and play the white victim. Uh, he's probably not likely ever to hear this, but, like, I think it's, I think it's distasteful. I'll just say that. I think it's distasteful and I wouldn't expect better because he hasn't shown better, especially how He's, you know, as somebody who basically pretends to be a liberal, but has all these racist, Islamophobic things to say about people who aren't white and um, Judeo-Christian, about how he dates black women like they're sport fish, about how he's called himself a house nigger as a joke on his show, and then gotten pissy when people asked him to apologize, Neil Gaiman had the best read for him. Neil Gaiman basically said, "Of course, course, you know he wrote Sandman, a very important adult-oriented comic book." He said Mm -hmm. that more people care about Stan Lee being dead than Bill Murray being alive. So that's that.
4: (laughs) I mean, I mean, mean, if I mean, if you want to put it to rest, there you go. (laughs) I mean, if hey, sum it up like, why even have this discussion? Right. Exactly. The amount of, uh, the thing, he is forgetting the fact that, well, actually, again, I don't think, I don't think Bill Mayer even, he does not care about the deeper conversations behind all this. Like we, like we've already established, he is literally trolling. He knows he's trolling. And the more that you talk about it, the more that you just make him more relevant. We all know that there's a lot more things that spawn from, from the, the universal comic books than just you know, guys, you know, guys in their basement who are just, um, you know, being creepy and whatnot. Right. right? It spawns all kinds of creativity. It spawns people getting into the STEM field. Uh, so many people who are intelligent, who have amazing careers, they can, Trace their origin of what they wanted to do based off of the things that they read in comic books. The things that at the time were unattainable. The things at the time were were considered too creative, you know, to 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 reach for. And and here they are. Right. So yeah, it is it's, it's irrelevant to even. Plus, continue. the other part about
0: only a country that cares about comic books would have let Donald Trump. Has he been to Japan?
2: Um. Right. Good question. Yeah. But no, my man, my thing with Bill Murray is like, congratulations, your level of, of uh, pathetic trolling has reached a level I didn't think you could go to. Yeah. Like you, you've talked about a beloved dead man, and how, and like you've like speak it to your mic, man. Uh, I'm sorry. You're talking about a beloved man who just died. And you found a way to um, basically make fun, like belittle, hit like his impact on the American zeitgeist, right? And and you are conflating the idea of people being stupid with comic books. It's like you're feeding into like into into ignorance.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't get it. Like, bullshit, no. It's it's just kind of like, and you are making these leaps in that, ba- the you know, like, what What does Superman do? Leaps and ba- leap, j- Jump over uh,
0: Scott's purpose Call- in a single bound.
2: In a single bound. <laughs> you are, like, jumping over logic in, in uh, so many pieces of logic in a single bound to come to these foregone conclusions looking for a dupe sex machina to justify your bullshit. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. No, but makes anyways. Sense. Yeah.
4: He's yeah. He's he only did that just to to rile people up, right? He doesn't he if he if he really sat on thought about he he knows that that makes absolutely no sense. He knows it.
0: Yeah, sure he does. Because after his show go off, they probably put on Batman versus Superman right after it. Which they shouldn't because that movie's terrible. But still, a point made. Um, so we also did want to say rest in peace to William Goldman who passed away at the age of 80. What
2: was he, 80?
0: God, give me a second. Pull this thing back up. Uh, but yeah, he, William Goldman is best known for writing the screenplay to The Princess Bride, and also the novel is originally based upon, but he has a very, very long list of crests. He was 87 when he passed. It's a very long list of crests. He passed the same day as Stan Lee. No, I said Stan Lee, not Siri. Um,
4: Among the
0: Among the screenplays he wrote uh, Were Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Misery All the President's Men The Stafford Wives Marathon Man, A Bridge Too Far Maverick I mean he wrote a bunch of movies He wrote a whole bunch Um and a whole bunch of novels as well. So rest in peace to William Goldman. I also want to say rest in peace to Kim Porter. Uh, Kim Porter was an actress and a model. She was probably best known for, for being uh, Sean Diddy Combs' on-again, off-again girlfriend and the mother of three of his kids. Three of his kids and also the mother of Albie Sure's son. Like, uh, what's that boy's name? He's on movies and shit now. Quincy. Quincy. Quincy Brown is, is um her child. hmm and so, like, you know, she she apparently was sick for a while. Like, she would have flu-like symptoms in and out. Like, mm. I don't know, I'm, you know, and then she just, you know, she never got better. Like, you know, but rest in peace to her. You know, she, you know, as somebody who definitely put a lot of work behind the scenes and probably didn't get the credit that she deserves for doing so. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that maybe with her passing That people will sort of Kind of look into that Whole sort of thing And you know See that it wasn't just Diddy by himself Doing that sort of stuff.
2: Did you know that she was The inspiration
0: for Jodeci's, uh Forever My Lady I didn't know And Carolyn was reading Everybody on Facebook For not knowing that But I actually mm-hmm. didn't know That Albie Shore wrote the song I never checked the, the
2: credits On that one But Albie Shore yeah. wrote it And it's about her Yeah Albie Shore Did a lot of work On Jodeci's first album um, and obviously a lot because she was pregnant with uh, with Quincy okay, cool. at the time. So you're having a baby, and it means so much, much to me, yeah, right. <laughs> huh? I can't sing at all, so you um, was doing fine. You was doing fine. <gasps> don't don't lie to me like that. No, you um, were- but yeah, but yeah, but I mean, she is R and B royalty, like pretty. In a, I mean, without ever hit, hitting a note, right. pretty much. Uh, it, and it is you know really sad to see her gone.
0: Yeah. It is. But may she rest in peace though. But yeah, but that has been our show for the week. Well, we hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I think Creed 2 comes out. I I hear it's good. Thank goodness. Go see it. Oh. <laughs> um,
1: if you enjoyed
0: Yep. If you have enjoyed our show, please go to ssmpodcast.com leave us comments on the website. Go to iTunes and to Stitcher. Leave us five-star reviews. We appreciate them. I will check them over the holiday and see if we've got new ones that we can read on the show. Uh, and Hopefully next year we can get back into doing a couple of new things as well. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, the wherever else podcasts can be found. Hope I didn't say anything twice. Uh, you can find us on all social media under the handle at Podcast. This has been... The Sassy Nice Podcast. I am Brandon.
3: Coffee light and sweet.
2: And I am Bill Myers. Lack of Bill. Ma- Fuck it. I'm just kidding this week. I messed that up. You're a Bill Myers lack of common sense.
0: Bill Myers lack of common sense.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll see y'all next time. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Don't, ge- don't Hi, eat too good. much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Showtime.
4: Also, also, masks are not on the, the, the ability of a mask to filter air has a limit. So there's only so mo- there's only so long you can use a mask before it too becomes useless. So yeah. you'd have to keep on changing that sort of, uh, the thing that you see on both sides of the mask, you know, that, that needs to keep keep changing or you need to change the mask completely. Right. So just FYI.
3: Does anyone know, and I'm, I'm being very serious, how the fire started? Was it from nature or was it from a human?
0: I actually don't know. Often it's a combination of both. I mean, it certainly is always a combination of both, but like I know they have a the drought and they don't have any water coming in. And so it's like, you know
3: super dry.
0: Super dry. So it just creates that environment where something like this can happen and spread without uh-huh. any way of containing it properly. And yeah, yeah, like it's it's just been really tragic out there. So hopefully, it's the
4: I don't honestly I'm I'm I need to research that because I feel like as if is it is that somehow maybe there's some because for sunlight for UV rays mm-hmm. to actually cause something to catch fire, it can. It's not impossible. It's not, but usually doesn't that, that requires like it to be focused on a spot. Yeah. Kind of like how you can burn an ant if you use a lens. Yeah. And so I'm very curious about how that works out in nature. Is there, there, is there an equivalent process that, that happens out there that can cause that? Because, you know, it's, man, it's just horrible to hear people have lost homes, their celebrities and regular people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had. And their homes have just gotten destroyed. And also to watch some videos of people literally driving away and in the background, there's this literal hellscape. Yes. (laughs) Like, what is going on?
3: Like, geez. Yes. Yes. There's this video and I know you guys, well, I'm I'm thinking you guys may have seen it, but um, it's a woman who's driving away and i'm assuming there's only one way out like the road to get out you have to literally go through the fire there's that's the way out and on both sides of the vehicle it's just burning trees or burning prop or whatever but there are flames of whatever is burning on both sides of the vehicle there's flames in front and she's driving slowly and there are other cars in front of her so there's like this this caravan of cars that are moving through this, this, like Ali said, this hellscape and she's praying aloud and she's obviously terrified. And if you didn't know any better, you would swear that this is from a movie because you've never seen anything like this, except possibly in a movie. This is insane. It's like,
4: all you see are like cinders Mm -hmm. and embers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean the only thing, the only thing left to make it even more
3: terrifying is that that was actual lava like I, it, it looks like a video game, it's terrible, yeah, yeah, it's really bad, yeah, but I you know there was another video that that was really moving um and I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but there was a father who was in the car with his daughter, small daughter, maybe three or four, small girl in the back seat, same situation where he's driving out driving to safety but he has to go through this 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 flaming you know scenery or whatever and he's slowly driving out and again there's 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 fire on both sides all around um you know there are lights in the front he's driving slowly out and the father is doing everything he can to remain calm and the little girl is asking questions and it's the most amazing thing and it 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 just reminded me of what a parent will do in order to shield their children from what is obviously a ridiculous and crazy situation, and the father is having a very calm conversation with his daughter in the back seat, and she's saying something to the effect of, "Daddy, there's there's fires going on outside. What's what's happening? Something like that, as only a child would say," and the father is. He, you can tell he is terrified, right? Mm-hmm. But he's also keeping in mind, I have to hold it together for this little one in the backseat. I, I can't, I, I don't have the luxury of freaking out. So he's telling her no, and he's speaking just like this. He's like, no, honey, it's just hot. You know, we're just going to drive slowly out. It'll be okay. Right. And the little girl says something to the effect of like, okay, daddy, and you're watching this and you're just like, Whoa! Because as an adult, or as someone who can really, you know, um, assess what's going on, you're just like, good grief! And then you also say to yourself, the love of a parent to somehow communicate to their child in the midst of just present danger, and the kid loving and trusting that parent to the extent, like, all right, mm-hmm. I guess we'll just we'll just ride then. incredible and then it showed the father and the little girl when they were obviously you know at a shelter you know safety they were in a place with lights and and you know supplies and everything and the little girl as only children can be pure innocent she's open wide innocent eyes no clue the father's face was like this mask of I don't even know what that expression was. And even though he was talking to the reporter and he was very calm, in his eyes was like sheer terror. And I was like, this poor little girl, when she grows up, she'll look back and say, wow, dad, wow.